Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. Gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with a uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene. And we're just casually just like, yeah, so that's probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with gasoline. Alex. It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now, it's not an Amityville. Or where is this? Amityville. And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing grew from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at YouTube.com slash Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts. One by one, we will take you. Week in Horror. <laughs> Stay scared. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all of you horror fans. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast that is itself strange and unusual. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember we do this here live every Wednesday right here on YouTube. So please come hang out with us and see all of the cool stuff that gets edited out before the show goes live to every podcast site out there on Sundays. This week we're covering select horror films released May 7th through May 13th. Thank you all so much for joining us or joining me. I am JL. As you can see, I am here in the studio holding things down because everybody else apparently was a little bit too held up, a little bit too busy, caught up with stuff or you know doing, uh, doing the stuff they need to do. So here I am uh, uh, doing a solo show. And it's always fun. It's always fun to hang out with the live audience and because you never know how a solo show is going to go. So you just kind of like try to because we have a time block that we have to fill out. We have like two hours is what the show, show is slotted for. And so trying to pace everything is always such is always such a challenge. So but uh, but yeah, we have an I have an amazing show. We have an amazing show planned for you tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, first and foremost, let's get our Patreon banner up there on the screen. There it is, all the amazing individuals behind the scenes who help us make this show possible. I see a lot of them in the live chat tonight. In fact, let's say hi to them real quick. We have got, all the way up at the top, Raven Darkstar was in here first. Good to see you, Raven. Says, hello, all. Good to see you, Raven. Travis Brown says, good evening, horror freaks, and counting down the days until Frightmare. Yes, Texas Frightmare Weekend is the upcoming uh, horror convention in uh, located in Texas. It will be at the Irving Convention Center. And it is the largest uh, horror convention in the Southwest. So the big premiere event that takes place once a year, usually around May, usually on the 1st of May, end of April. Um, I unfortunately will not be attending this year because uh, I was, uh, I didn't see any, I didn't see a point in, in, in securing tickets because there was only, of all the people that are there, this massive convention, there was only one person who was scheduled to be there that I haven't seen yet and I wanted to see, and that was John Carpenter. Unfortunately, and John Carpenter's ticket line, like his premiere ticket line, you know, like the, it maxed out within like 15 minutes. And I and I couldn't I couldn't buy it. even if I was a premium, even premium tickets all sold out and gone. It was done. There was no amount of money that could have gotten me uh, <clears throat> that could have gotten me in there and get John Carpenter's uh, autograph and, and meet him very briefly. So it was a shame when I saw that and I missed the opportunity. I was kind of like, no, I'll just have to catch him next year. It's just me. 
you know, unfortunately. I was, I was really, really bummed. But, Travis, if you are going out to Texas Primary Weekend, or if any of the rest of you are going out, I wish you all the most. It's one of the most amazing uh, cons that's out there, not to mention uh, not to mention the, the talent that they bring out, but also all of the vendors that they come out there, because the vendors are absolutely amazing. Uh, Lloyd Cryer and crew put on an amazing show, and I love it. I, I mean, you can see most of the stuff that's, that's oh, most of the stuff that's back here that I have on my walls and everything is from Texas Frightmare. And so I've been a huge fan of that convention since, oh, I think since it started, long time. And uh, I hope you have a lot of fun when you go. So uh, uh, have, have fun out there heading down to Texas. All right. Uh, I see also Case Cooper is here. It says face blue smiling. I don't know what, I can't see what emoji that is, but uh, I see it as an emoji. But thank you, Casey Cooper, for being here. Appreciate it. Well met to you. Any bets on starting time, Casey Cooper? Yeah, on time. That's when we started. We started on time. Okay, that's right. Oh, and look who it is. He has popped in. There's the man. <laughs> and I think he's muted. <laughs> There's that face I missed. <laughs> well, well, he fixes his, well, he sorts his audio out. Let's see what else we got here. Genova 28 is here. Good to see you. Genova 28, thanks so much for being here. Robert Biter as well. Good to see you. Says, saw the sheep one. It was hoping you had found Black Sheep, a Kiwi classic. I love the movie Black Sheep. It is uh, hilariously raunchy and gross and just a just well acted. A good a good monster film, you know, with effects by the crew out at Weta, out at Weta uh, Studios. So love them. Love uh, love that one. That was that one got me. It was kind of like, oh, this is in, it because it was very much in the vein of like brain dead and and like Peter Jackson's work because it was really gory and gross, especially at the scene when they fall in to like where they've been dumping all the remains. It was really really disgusting, but uh, but a fun and hilarious movie. You wear Can you hear me now? There he is. Okay, is that audio okay? Coming in a bit crackly. Of course it is, because it wouldn't be me on the stream if it wasn't. All right. We <laughs> mess around with it some more. All right, also see Sarcasm is here. Says, woo, made it. Good evening, folks and fiends. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Thanks so much for being here. Facty as well is here. Good to see you, Facty. And since Casey Cooper says, what was that alligator doing with Nora? Technically, in that, what I mentioned was we were talking about the movie Frogs. And Sam Elliott is in that movie. It was a movie from 1978, I believe, 77 or 78. And um, it's, an, it's one, of the, one of the earliest eco-horrors where nature turns against man. And it uh, centers around this rich family that's being attacked by nature. And so um, when uh, – Dan, I lost my train of thought. So uh, – uh, Sam Elliott plays a character in this this kind of like drifting kind of guy that just comes along and you know winds up being involved in the story. But it's Sam Elliott. He's young and he has no mustache. It's like a mustacheless Sam Elliott. And there's a big epic scene when they're trying to make their big escape when they're getting in a boat and he's got this oar and they get attacked by an alligator. So you get the sequence of a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache beating an alligator to death with an oar. And that was the kind of horror film I'm looking for. Because really it just doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get much better. The only thing better now is probably um, a boxer trying to shoot the fade on Jason on a rooftop in Manhattan. That's probably one of the best. <laughs> just like just like zany wackiness that that horror gives us. Uh, let me see who else we got here. Uh, I see Josh release is another solo stream. No, not quite. I didn't want to. I wanted to start the show on time, but I knew that uh, and that Alex would be here on time. So and here he is. He's just getting his audio sorted out. Nemo at 13 says, waiting for JL to uh, bring the Turd Polish 9000 on as a co-host. 
well, then you wouldn't be able to hear me talking over how loud that fucking thing is. So, you know, we have to park that thing like two doors down in order to make sure that the, the, that the diesel sound of that engine doesn't just override, overwhelm the entire audio experience. But good to see you, Nemo813. Nemo, Nemo Thanks so much for being here. Oh, let's see. Josh Lee says, I skipped ahead to next week and watched Night Train to Terror. Yeah. Okay, so there's a reason. So many of you may have noticed that I I did some advanced stuff, that I put up, I, I scheduled an episode in advance, and that's because this weekend I am going out of town. I'm going out of town, I'm going back down to Texas and uh, to do some behind-the-scenes stuff at a slasher film that we are shooting. So I'm going to be taking pictures and, you know, talking with people and just doing a lot of fun stuff. And that, that stuff, that all of that content will be available as extras for our Patreon, for our Patreon uh, members. And that's going to go up there and eventually it will be released when the film actually comes out and then everybody else will get to see it. But if anybody wants early access to all the behind the scenes stuff of like how we're making this movie, like, you know, who's going to play the killer and stuff like that, then we are, all that stuff's going to be uh, going out. So I'm, so I wanted to make sure that next week, was all scheduled ahead of time so that when I get back into town, I'm not rushing to try and catch up to make sure that everything stays on schedule. So I'll be out of town like the the beginning of that week. I'll be running downtown to do that. So I've also like just trying to make sure you're prepped for an out of town trip. It's, It's a pain in the ass. I'm just working my ass off trying to do it. But that's why that additional episode was scheduled. So I can, I don't have to worry about it when I get home. I won't be in a rush. Uh, let's see. Peter Noddle says, good day, mate. Good to see you, Peter Noddle. Uh, Sir Kevin says, Rooster. <laughs> then he waves. Good to see you. Angel Rivera's here. Good to see you. Says, what up, what up? Weekend Horror. Good to see you, Angel Rivera. Hank's Corner says, hello, all. Good to see you, Hank. Paracord Princess says, Joshua, yeah, I know I told my son there were uh, usually two other guys, but he's never seen them. <laughs> we Since things have begun to really take off here at Weekend Horror, it, it, we've been slammed. Eugene is slammed. I've been slammed. Johnny's slammed. Everybody, I know that you know Alex had uh, moved. He's got four kids, and he's got his own work going on with the you know, with construction. And then Aaron, as well, has got you know got his litter, and you know it just it's wild. So you know, ever since doors started opening, we we've just been inundated with work. And so trying to fix this, you know, we it was good that we figured out that we could do like a one person show, and it works. And then you know, we can narrow it down to two people, three people. Um, I, I like two or three, either one of those works. Um, but you know, we, we, we adapt, we have to adapt and evolve, you know, because we, we have to you know, adjust to make sure that the show stays on time, but that's part of the fun of it. Oh, right. and, and is this any here. better? Yes. You sound good. Is that better? All right. I had to use a different webcam microphone. Now I've got two webcams hooked up because apparently, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what's up everybody. So how have you been? Busy as shit. Uh, yeah you just mentioned construction i'm kind of it's kind of a side gig now i'm I'm working uh working my way up a corporate ladder at the moment but uh always fun we're moving we're moving the office now so i got to move my house and now we're moving to a brand new office uh, in dallas and so it's just been it's been insane i was dealing with a bunch of you know suits and executives today so it was kind of you know that's just your crowd no yeah definitely not but but (laughs) Like you said, four kids, new house. It's yeah. Oh no, we have no doubt that you're that you're slammed up there. And I oh, do hope man. you get to make it out to the to the set uh, this upcoming weekend because yeah, when we shoot uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, it's going to be overnights. So I hope yeah. you get a chance to swing through and visit the set and say hi to her, so we can all kind of catch up and. It's literally think. you can see you can see it from my office. So it's kind of funny. Awesome! It's going to be so much fun, dude. Yeah. It's going to be a fucking blast. Awesome. I, 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 I got to be honest. When I wrote this fucking thing, 
I had no idea if we were ever going to be able to shoot it because it's so practically it's so practical effects driven right. that I wasn't sure we were ever going to be able to secure a budget for such a short film for such, for such a for such, like just this very very small little short. I didn't think we were able to secure the kind of budget to do that, but but we were obviously we were able to. Eugene and Al, you know, Eugene and uh, and uh, Johnny, you know, went out of the way. They they got that money down. They got that budget down, and now the practical effects are secured, and it's going to be fucking brutal as shit. Look at dude. what happened. Look, it's we're not you know we're not professionals by any means. <laughs> and look, at, it started it started out just a couple of I I always go back to it because we just moved from the house when we started doing this because we've been doing this for damn near four years now, right? Over, uh, over. We're, yeah, I mean, we're, over literally, we're literally, if you think about it, we're four months away from season five. Yeah, I know. It's insane. But so it started with like me putting my my cell phone up on the corner of the window just to get enough service to run my hotspot because I just moved into this house and the internet wasn't on yet. And so it started that with my little laptop in the corner of a room to now like, we're making a movie. Like, there's a set. There's a budget. It's like, wait, hold on. These are not words we started this thing with. So, and I think they, they, they were like pipe dreams. And it wasn't until like we started kind of getting a good rhythm going. We we're sort of like, what could this possibly lead to? No, no, no. We don't want to talk about that. We don't. We, we don't want to talk. About it. We never know. You know. We don't want to. We we don't want to plan for stuff that right. we can't back up yet. We don't want to sit here and get like get all our hopes up. Be like, oh, and then if the show never takes off, we never get to do any of them. Then it's just like, oh, they're just pipe dreams. So we didn't. We really didn't want to jinx it. We were kind no. of like, no, no, let's just focus on the let's show. With it. One let's episode with at it. a time, and we'll see what happens. And slowly but surely, little things started happening, which I thought was really fucking cool. And it was like, oh, holy shit. And you never want to be like, we've arrived. Like, we've done it. Because it's <laughs> always the next step. So right. now it's just it's like we just take one project at a time. So, like, now we have a film we're shooting this weekend. And it's, and it's you know, we did Nail Gun. And yep. and that's leading to that. That is also working in the background, leading up to a massive thing that we can't reveal yet. But then we have this one coming up, which is another slasher film that I wrote, and I cannot wait for people to see it because <laughs> with your cinematography and the practical effects guys, with um uh, uh with that crew that did the work on Nailgun, working on this one, oh, I can't wait to show this. It's gonna be so. It's gonna it's gonna be fucking brutal. <laughs> If I drove so I drove by the set. Uh, uh, what day is it? Wednesday, Monday. Um, just because because it's right there. I just wanted to drive by and check it out. And I was looking through the window and I was driving by. I'm like, this is gonna be fucking cool. It's gonna be, be fucking cool. gross. It, it's gonna be cool. That's so cool read, that they, huh? Have you had a chance to read the script yet? Yeah. Oh hell yeah. Oh okay. So yeah. So we did send it to you. I want to make sure that you knew what we were gonna do. Yeah. I had because yeah. I had. I was like, we're gonna shoot this. We we're like, really? I know. Like, it's like. <laughs> It's gonna get so splattery. <laughs> and just, just like you're saying, with York cinematography and everybody is kind of just, you know, very specific backgrounds and our love for practical effects thrown into it, it's just, it's gonna be wild. I'm fucking excited. I'm excited to shit, and I'm, I cannot wait to share all the behind the scenes stuff with uh, with all the people that support the show and to get all this stuff out there so people can see what's coming. And then, of course, we will do a big reveal when it's all cut and Eugene's got it all. And Eugene and Johnny, they have it all edited and done. When we have a final cut. We will definitely debut that to everybody in the Patreon, do a special kind of screen, a special little screening like we did with Nailgun. So we'll do a little screening with that and people can see uh, what their efforts in supporting the show have allowed us to accomplish. So yeah. it'll be absolutely amazing. I'm, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blast. Stay tuned. Yeah. Absolutely stay tuned. 
So let me see here. Who else? We got Elizabeth Sylvester is here. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Andrew Vera, good to see you. And Annie says, I did not hit on her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Yes, I did not. <laughs> oh, you got to love Tommy. And again, I, I cannot wait for his, for for like Big Shark or like whatever that next, his next movie is. <laughs> we show the trailer. I have no fucking clue what it's about. Um, Joshua Lee says, watch Night Train and Terror at your own risk. Absolutely. But it's a horror anthology. So if you like that, definitely check it out. Uh, Travis Brown says, Jail's turd polishing will be Chat GPS as his co-host. <laughs> <laughs> movie is interesting. Paracord Princess, the jail. Have you watched Robot Holocaust yet? My nomination for worst tech. I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds familiar. I'm going to have to check that out. Sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Welch is here. Says, yo, folks, it's good to see you. Charlie, or Welchie, as he is known in uh, in uh, more intimate circles, and the only man, man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Welchie. Thanks so much for hanging out. And I think, hey, oh, Hank's Corner says, jail, you'd have more time if you cut down on the ghost sex. I will do my best, but, man, you know, it's Listen, so you have to make some sacrifices, but that's just not one jail's going to make. Right. How do you think I have the ghost sex? Let's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Damn. Ghost sex requires sacrifices. Get it? Get... Hey. <laughs> Damn it, I'll get the shovels. Fuck. <laughs> uh Genova 28 says, I was wondering if Alex was going to have to resort to using a marker on a mini whiteboard. <laughs> uh, Sir Cab says, JL, all I can say is there's no way you and the guys could do any worse than Winter Beast. Oh, we, we are so going to dive into this. It's... <laughs> We're going to tear it apart, that's for sure. Oh, I watched that movie. I was like, what the Anyway, we're going to get there. I swear we're going to get there. Sir Cab says, I dare to say Winter Beast is the absolute worst so far. We'll get there. I promise you we will. Sir Casm, good to see you. Surf is here. Says, I've made it to a thing. Good to see you, Surf. Uh, Travis Brown says, make sure to have ghostly condoms with the ghost sex. That's the great part of it is you just, when you when you, when you you do it, you're just like, uh, 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 boom, and it just goes right through it. No <laughs> thinking like, like ectoplasm condoms or something. You have, you have ghost herpes. <laughs> uh, Actually, it's like it follows, you know? that That's the spiritual yeah. STD. <laughs> it, just, oh, it, just, no. it, just, it just won't be alone. All right. Well, we have a couple things we want to look at before uh, we dive into tonight's uh, movies. <sighs> Pardon me, my allergies kind of like kicking my Dude, butt. They're, we're trying they're rough to, down you here. don't hear me, huh? They're rough down here too. It's yeah. It's it's the bad. pollen count yeah. is kind of like shot up. I was driving so, home and on on the big billboard, you know, where they put like you know funny shit during the holidays. They're like uh -huh. orange, air quality bad. <laughs> Stay inside. <laughs> I was like, cool. If you look, you, I swear, it's very much idiocracy. Like that's the way marketing <laughs> is going these days. Watch it, watch it again, and it, it it's it's bad how well that movie held up. It's actually better now because it's so relevant. I feel bad for my judge because my judge is like, I never meant it to be a documentary. It was supposed to be a comedy, and you imagine you do this movie and you're like, I do. This is so funny. People are dumb. It's a future where people are dumb. Uh, and he puts the movie out. Twenty years later, it's like. Oh, it just, you can imagine the, like the weight of this is just like suddenly descending. He's like, oh, I didn't mean for this. Oh, shit. That's the I tell you that the, the question really is like there's a certain point. There has there's a turning point, right? There's a turning point in our timeline where things took a turn for the worse. And a lot of people on the Internet agree that it was that it was at the it was when Harambe got shot. It was when when Harambe died. That was when 
we diverged off into an alternate to this dumb timeline. <laughs> Shit, man. Yeah, no, it was like he pulled the trigger and we entered Bizarro World. It was just, it's just like it's one of those moments. It's kind of like, you know, you have a timeline and then if someone goes back in time and performs an action, it immediately veers off into another alternate timeline where we've left the original timeline. And someone did that. Someone went back and someone shot Harambe. When Harambe was shot, we kicked off into an alternate line that this is this is the timeline we're in. It's like so. a sub-thread of, like, butterfly effect or chaos theory. It's just this weird string that we got stuck to because somebody decided they were going to be an asshole one day. Right. Oh, yes, Raven Darkshire does bring up uh, uh, Gordon Lightfoot passed away on Monday. And as a Man, Michigander, we yeah. feel this one. It's a shame. Yeah, it was a, it was a bummer. Um, he was getting up there, but uh, such a, le- a fucking legend. Legit yeah. legend. Um, at least a legend for, for us, you know, and I would say for, especially for our generation. And that's the wild thing, man, is we, okay. I I don't mean to get like philosophical or like, you know, like maudlin, like maudlin on this or existential on this. (laughs) We're getting older. Yeah. Okay. I first met Alex in 2012. Yeah. 2012, 2013, (laughs) somewhere around there. Yeah. So (laughs) that's when I first met you. It was oh, like 2012, man. 2013, somewhere around there. Yeah. So he was only 84 years old. It says the 71-year-old. It says Casey Cooper. He was only 84. Um, but, yeah, it's like more more often, obviously, the legend, the legends that we grew up with are now we're, – we're at that point where we're beginning to see them drop off. Yeah. And that is something that's just uh, – because it reminds you, it's kind of like you think of the of these of these individuals that you grew up with that they're almost that they're timeless in your mind. But then right. you see, then they start they start dropping off, and eventually, you know, I know I'm going to have to look at, I'm gonna I'm gonna be faced. Eventually, one day, Robert Englund won't be here anymore. Kane Hodder won't be here anymore. John Carpenter won't be here anymore. Tony Todd as well. You see the progression. This Pat, you know, Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, you know, Kurt, even fuck, even William Shatner. One day, and it's and you know, it's like. You realize, and once you, what it really starts to sink in at a certain point, you yeah. know. And so, every time I have to change a happy birthday to an in memoriam in oh, the horror terrible. movie database, always just, just, uh just kind of drags me down. But it's, you know, it's happening more and more as we get older. Oof. Now that we've faced our mortality crisis, <laughs> great pep talk. Fuck. <laughs> Let's talk about murder. So. The first thing we're going to do is there's a couple of trailers that came out. One, uh, I found this to be really interesting. I wanted to share with everybody before we get started in the show. And this first trailer is for a movie that's coming out called It Lives Inside. And I found this to be really, really, a uh, really intriguing trailer. I wanted to show it to everybody in case you haven't seen it. JL having an existential crisis. Not that bad. George Takei. George Takei as well. You know, it's okay to be Takei. And a Jerry Springer is another one that just came up. It's like, oh, man. Oh, then you look, you know, music-wise, you get the Rolling Stones as well, and Aerosmith, and you know, individuals that are unfortunately they get you know, people get old. It's the way it happens, you know. And Nimoy <laughs> sees this. Thanks for attending Jail's dead talk. <laughs> Good to, to see you, Donnie. Does that? That's a big thing, it's though. True. That's something that I've learned a lot. You re- you really got to live in the moment because you go through those those existential crises, and you got to think like, yeah, it happens. It happens to everybody. That sucks. It's terrifying. And if you get way too high on like a Wednesday night and fall down that rabbit hole and have an anxiety attack, that's okay. Just know that like you're here now. Focus on that. I think I think it's what it was. It's the reality of this has kind of kept, has not only kept me, 
but kept our crew kind of just like focused, you know, focusing on the project at hand. Yeah. You know, just enjoy what we're doing while we're doing it. Don't take it for granted. This opportunity that we have to hang out and talk about these things and, you know, talk about them with the audience and have these kind of interactions that to really appreciate these for what they are. The opportunity that we were presented an opportunity to create a show that in turn led to bigger opportunities for everybody. And we, and, and just the, be great to, we, to really appreciate that for what it is, for what it really has led us to it to not be like, it's just one more thing. It was like, no, to really appreciate it because you never know, you know? And I think that come, that does come with age like that. That's why I, I so deeply love, you know, doing this show, and, you know, no matter what's going on, my Wednesdays, my Wednesdays are kind of like, just kind of like a little break from everything where I can kind of sit down and just nerd out with my fellow. Me too, and I can fucking make it home before eight o'clock at night. <laughs> All right. So this first trailer we're going to take a look at is called it lives inside. If you haven't seen it yet, Let's check this out, because I found it really intriguing. You'll see why here in a moment. Yes. That was the trailer for it lives inside. <laughs> I really, really, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I enjoyed the look of this one. Um, it's from the producers of Get Out. And, of course, uh, the central, uh, obviously centering around an Indian family. And what I really dug about this one is this, this, this is we're in a really, really nice trend where horror films these days are really broaching into not your mainstream knowledge, you know, like where the mythologies of various groups where we talk about like, you know, the devil or like various like Catholic themes like this, but where people are really starting to broach out into like the, the more obscure like legends and the really obscure scariness in a lot of uh, mythologies out there and, you know, using them to tell stories because there's a, a lot of scary shit out there in, uh, in various you know, old world mythologies that has never been touched, has never been, you know, been the subject of, of a film. And I'm glad that this one dove into this one. It's kind of like the first time that the Dybbuk was was yeah. used for a movie. It's like, well, yeah. Dybbuk's, what is that? Or, or like when we talked about, um, we talked about there was that Jewish horror film that uh, we talked about before on the show called The Vigil, which talked about a Jewish demon that rarely ever gets mentioned. And so I was like, I'm really, so I'm really looking forward to this one. And plus the cinematography looks fantastic. It looks great. And here's the thing. Okay, so like these like demons and ghosts. I was just having a conversation about this the other day about like ghosts. Like how, you know, when we think of ghosts or when there's ever these ghost stories, it's like this old woman in a dress. And and it's like, okay, <laughs> but like, so did all these, these ghosts just pop up at the same fucking era? Like, is it just this one time period? How come we don't have like, newer ghosts and then you know i was listening to a, a podcast and they're like okay what happens when britney spears dies you're gonna walk into her house and you're like, <laughs> britney bitch like not like there's no like it, there needs to be for these kinds of movies there needs to be they need to think about stuff like that and it, it's like mm -hmm. these legend ones that kind of go back it's like okay they place it in a time period it makes sense because of the time period and they're you know they use modern spins on it so they use a time you know that's not just like a victorian aged woman walking through a wall into the kitchen like yeah so they're getting real creative with it and they have to agreed oh by the way they want to leave the the chat's letting you know that your camera is frozen so you were doing a fantastic ventriloquist routine that was fantastic <laughs> no i just got this new camera it looks good you can see my sunburn really well <laughs> yeah it's just still image of you but it worked it works the the audio is the the audio is what we need so I'm looking forward to that one. I think it looks interesting. So it's called um, It Lives Within or lives, It Lives Inside. So check that out when you get the opportunity. This next one we're going to look at before we dive into tonight's subject. The next one we're going to look at, this one was kind of special. 
because if uh, many of you, or I don't know how many of you will remember in the live chat currently, but many of you may remember way back early, early towards the beginning of the show, we had Rebecca Kennedy on the show. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and Rebecca Kennedy has a new movie coming out oh. called The Unseen. Let's go. And this trailer for this film just dropped. So in honor of our good friend, good friend of the show, Rebecca Kennedy, who was one of the first guests we ever had on the show. So in honor of Rebecca Kennedy, we're going to show the trailer for her new uh, film that just dropped called The Unseen. Get out of here. It's next month. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. And yes, Nemo 13 that is Walter White Jr. That is RJ Mitt from Breaking Bads. That's wild. It's awesome to see him working and see him kicking ass. But for a brief moment, you saw Rebecca. She was in the trailer, but she is in the film. She got billing on the poster. So we are so proud of Rebecca for all of her uh, successes. And uh, just every time she drops a new project, you know, because she was, you know, she was recently in uh, Two Witches, which uh, I think recently released. And then, of course, she has this one coming out. Seeing her get to work with with some of the big names and especially a lot of up and coming names <clears throat> is just amazing to see her success. So we wanted to celebrate that and celebrate her by showing the trailer for our newest video. So awesome. And Anna, this is the real horror of seeing your debt after you graduate. <laughs> it's very true. Listen, man. <laughs> very, very true. Listen, man, we're going to be paying off student loans for the next 35 fucking years. And I'm already 32. So guess who doesn't get to retire? <laughs> retire, please. By the time you have retirement age, they've already up to like five or 10 years. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, damn it. I'm frozen again. You are frozen again. A $200 fucking camera. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed those trailers. We had, uh, we had some good stuff to talk about tonight. Oh, buddy, buddy. I can't wait to dive into these. Well, uh, Alex's figure is, is fixing his. Uh, there he goes. Uh, Casey Cooper says, "Was that uh, where was Danny Trejo in that last trailer? Unfortunately, no Danny Trejo in those movies. But that does not mean he is not still working his ass off and maintaining his title as the most killed man in Hollywood. As the most you know, deaths on screen. You know, we'll always, you know what will always live in my mind? It wraps back to the, the Frightmare Weekend stuff we were talking about earlier when I was muted. Um, was when we were at Frightmare Weekend and I and I almost physically ran into um, Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Nice. And as I was like saying, I'm sorry, because I didn't notice who it was at first. And I bumped into a guy that was walking. Well, he's pretty little. He's a small dude. <laughs> and I bumped into one of his little bodyguard guys. Well, not little. He's a big bodyguard guy. And I turned around and I was like, I think that's Corey Taylor. And he opens a door and he walks in. Danny Trejo's behind the door and he daps up Danny Trejo and they start like going back and forth like they're old friends. Oh, this is the this is the coolest moment. Like Corey Taylor from <laughs> Slipknot just dapped up dapped up Danny Trejo. I didn't realize Danny Trejo was as short as he was because they were they were pretty even. But he's uh, a little dude. Yeah, funny. I was they were both so happy to see each other. I was like, oh my god, like two. Two legends right here. It was super cool. So, yeah. I was I was shocked. <clears throat> I was shocked because I'd seen Danny Trejo before, but I never because when I finally got to meet him and talk to him, and when I was standing there in front of him, it was like <clears throat> that's what I love about going to a lot of conventions is I get to see like the actors as they were and be like, wait a minute, I'm bigger than you are. Like <laughs> I thought I was. I'm tiny. I, I'm I am the smallest one of the weekend horror crew. No, I'm a little taller than Angela. I'm a little taller than Angela, but as far as like everybody else towers over me, I'm this guy. Then I go to conventions and I see actors. I'm like, how am I this much bigger than Danny Trejo? That was like uh, when we met Kane Hodder at Frightmare. I was like, oh man, like could you even <laughs> could you even reach my neck? Like, and then I then I then I then I then I meet like, but then I, you meet the occasional one like Ken Foree, and I'm like, 
yeah. or, or Tony Todd, Tony and you're Todd like, oh, tall shit. Yeah. And like, wow, he's so big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was surprising how small Danny Trejo is. And I'm like, but he's Danny Trejo. He's Bachete. You know, Bichette. what the fuck? <laughs> it is fucking hilarious. That dude could kill you before you could even think about it. I know, right? With a look. Oh yeah, just yeah. Uh, just that, just that glare. And it's awesome because he's such a cool guy. He does so many good things for so many people. So it's just, it's cool. It was cool to see him. Yeah, it was funny. Funny, a little anecdote. You, you know that Danny Trejo uh, told you know, tells a story once where he saved Edward James almost his life. Really? Yeah, because they were doing a movie together, and mm-hmm. almost was uh, doing some was doing some stuff. In the or there was something going on that almost was portraying a particular character who was like a member of a, a I think a member of a gang or something like that. And um, Danny Trejo obviously has history, you know, mm-hmm. because he done time and, yeah. and shit. So, so Danny Trejo's from one side of the tracks. Edward James almost is from another side of the tracks, and almost was doing something that the gangs that they, that the cartels that they had found out about this. If the cartels found out about this, then that would have been very bad for Edward. And so Danny cautioned him. It was kind of like, oh, dude. You don't want to be doing that. And he was like, why? He was like, I'm, I'm acting. He's like, they don't care. They, <laughs> don't, they don't care. They take that really seriously. So just don't do that and you should be okay. <laughs> so, and of course they did, you know, nothing, you know, nothing ever happened to him. So it's like, ooh. So Danny Trejo may have saved Edward James almost his life. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we got some some awesome movies to dive into. Do you want to, do you want to take this first one? Too? Yeah. Why not? Oh, by the way, what do you think of the horror movie TV? Oh dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. When it first played, oh, that's pretty cool. Once, Sweet. You got shit out, once you got our faces out of the way, but yeah, no, it's, that's pretty cool. I like it. I like it. The horror movie TV. I love it. I should exactly. have been doing this from the beginning. The ideas you get when you're going down the path. So hey, but yeah, let's kick this bad boy off. All right. We're going to try to, no, you know what? You know what? It's not even a turd, all right? It's, I'm, I'm going to say it's not a turd. It's not great. It's, it's Okay, anyways, we're going to talk about uh, Winter Beast. Came out, uh, what, May 8th, 1992? I keep getting 91. I guess when it, uh, yeah, when it officially released. Okay, so this, <laughs> this, movie, this movie, JL, how do you always find these? Where did this come from? This Let's one's, check uh, out this. Let's check out the trailer. Let's show, let's show this trailer before we, deep, before we dive in. I don't know whether to rip it apart or hug it. I, I don't know. All right, here's the trailer for Winter Beast. Winter Beast. What the fuck? God. Okay, this is this is Timor Morgan, Mike Magri, uh, Charles Mahaka, Bob Harlow, Lisa Breer, Dory May Kelly's in this one. Um, sorry, I skipped. Directed by Christopher Fees, uh, written by Christopher and Joseph Calabrese. Uh, so, so people are getting offed near a, a mountain village, resort village, I guess. It's like a lodge, like, like, like a lodge. mountain lodge. Yeah, it's just one building and a store in the middle of fucking woods. Um, just getting picked off by these random ass. The fucking glute looking monster at the beginning. Oh my god. Just getting killed. The acting is like this this could have been like a stage production. Like it could have been done on a stage for sure. But it, the acting's not great, but the fucking effects are amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, you saw the trailer when the woman's screaming. It's just the worst. It's the worst scream. But she, 
what they don't show you is that if you the first what 10 15 minutes in this it's just it's just nudity it's just yeah well there, there's nothing much nothing much else to go off of so the uh the, okay so i'm glad that we finally got to jump into this one um i had the reason i wanted to have it there's nothing tremendously uh, like amazing we could divulge about the film the film in and of itself is a, it's a it's a very very cheap cheap shot it's shot on 16 millimeter and super eight on a mixture between the two so there's a reason for that there's a reason why it's shot on two different types of films which is why the look of the film changes throughout like you'll get a weird cut and it's was like what the heck is going on here and it's not done artistically there's a reason for it and it began production in 1985 but did not finish until 1992 when he was able, when the uh, director and the, with the producer, Mark Frizzle was able to revisit the work and actually finish it. And that's because funding ran out. So it was, this is one of those movies that came along, got started, failed, picked up, fa- you know, dropped and like eventually over time, over the, pro- over the period of like, what is that? Seven years. He finally got the motion picture finished. So, all the footage that was shot in 80 and, and like, like for example, there was a, the, like they began production in 85 and then it dropped off. And so like 86, they had, they had to stop it. Then they picked up uh, work in 89 and they were able to shoot for two days in 1989 and then it dropped off again. And then they were, so, and then eventually at one point the, uh, they have to go in and I think the director went in and did a lot of the monster stuff, which is originally supposed to be in costumes, but decided that stop motion would be better. And so shot stop motion stuff for all the monster kills. Oh, it's great. And it's so out of place and it's just impractical, practical effects. And it's great. But like you can tell, so that, that little story about 1985, you can tell because the context between, you know, the way that the world was between 1985 and 1992 was so vastly different. And so you get these interactions at the beginning when they're in that little tiny fucking set. You can tell it's this fucking big. They're all squeezing past each other. And it's like, it, they're talk, it's like the guy when he's like, oh, he's like a creep. So he starts talking to him because you know, he's like obviously two feet away and can hear the whole conversation. Yeah. And he sits down and he, he shows him like a nudie mag. And then he's like, you're one of those creepy guys. And then the creepy guy's like, so what are you, one of those homosexuals? <laughs> that was so blatant. It's just... <laughs> No, I'm not one of I'm them. Not one of those I just, you know, but I'm not going to judge. Just be like, what the? Fuck? Uh, it was. It, it, there were so many, and there's so many points in it that just that flat out didn't make sense. Number one, we never really know what is the Winter Beast. I assume it's the thing that appears at the end. Was the Winter Beast the big, like sense. you know, thing with the the big Native American thing, like wow, the demon looking thing? But there's a bunch of other monsters. There's a giant turkey monster. There is a there's a couple that, that looks like a couple, like a kaiju that's in it, They're like a kaiju dragon looking thing. And there's a Groot monster, which is like a tree thing that kills people. That's got multiple arms and shit. It's a totem pole <laughs> monster. Um, you know, it, there's a lot, it, there's a lot of stuff in the film that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that was because the whole film was, it's, it took too much it, or it took too long and you end up losing stuff. And, you know, along the way or you end up losing props losing access to uh, particular things that you can you only have a, a very little a very a little amount that you can work with so i have to give it to this the director the producer behind this i mean fought to get this done so it is a true dedication to to failure you know it's like just it doesn't matter if you know it's going to be bad 
just, and I have to give it credit. There's the one thing, the only one thing that I can give it credit for is that they got the fucking thing in the can. That was it. That's the imp- the thing is that he got the movie finished, got it edited, and got a final cut. So I wish Johnny was here to give his opinion because Johnny would have found this movie to be fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's wild. Uh, I did. There's not like I said. There's not much about the film in and of itself. There's a lot that's really really bad. There's a lot of plot points that don't go anywhere. There's monsters that show up with no reason. There's a lot of unintentionally funny shit, which is why Rift Tracks jumped on this movie to do a cover of this movie. The Rift Track on it is funny as shit. Um, but there's like moments that are just so strange. Like they all like, like we don't know where the Turkey monster came from. Like, why is there a Turkey monster there? And then the, the unintentionally hilarious scene of when the Turkey monster attacks like the best friend. And he does like the very obvious stunt roll down the mountain. <laughs> or down the hill like oh it's like he's like Stop. ah and then he just Jones. jumps and rolls it's like what the fuck so oh is it tony regime says they got it in the wrong can the one they wanted is the one that flushes so <laughs> but you know he fought for it you know for you know like the like uh the you, you think about the dedication to that the stop motion stuff was done by mark frizzle by producer mark frizzle and he worked on this during his off hours while he was he was working um he had like a a day job at uh, I think it was Olive Jar Animation, and he was like doing other stuff. So when he had his free time, he would utilize that to go in and do the stop motion for the film. So he every day he put a little bit more into it, a little bit more into it, a little bit more into it, until eventually he got it done. And yes, it looks terrible. The sound is bad. The acting is awful. The stop motion is not great. We got like. And I will admit, like the, the salivating tree monsters and like bleh, like the, I. I I have to admit that there's you can see a lot of love went into it. The problem is, man, this movie is fucking terrible. But <laughs> it deserves the appreciation that it's a labor of love. He did it because he wanted to get it done and he persevered and he got it done. I have to give credit for that. He fought hard and slowly but surely he he's like I'm going to finish this fucking this it reminded me very much of a slasher film of a goat of a supernatural ghost slasher film that came out in the eighties that was only finished because the director mortgaged his home. He took he said, you know, mortgaged his house and then made, and then to get the picture done. And then he ensured that no matter if the film was successful or not, he got every single person on that crew and that cast paid before he ever paid himself. Yep. He's like, I'm not making any money on this. I'm going to mortgage the house. I'm going to sell everything I can. We're going to get the fucking movie done. And then everyone is going to get paid and walk away. Everybody's going to be good, taken care of before I'm taken care of. Because that's the kind of love that you hope for, that you want when you're making, when you have a, when you go into making a picture. Sometimes it may be, you know, it's not great. You don't have access to all the best stuff. And it's true. It happens sometimes. You look at Mono's Hands of Fate. Mono's Hands of Fate, arguably one of the worst films ever made, but you can see it's a cult classic because it's a there's a labor of love in there. You can see they did their best, they tried, you know. And I admit, the the filmmakers they tried on this, they yeah. really tried. They, it's it's not good, but at least they tried. I'd rather see a movie where they where they tried and failed than fucking phone the shit in. They did what they could. Doesn't have to be good. That's the thing. You got it in the can. You made you made it. You did it. It was terrible. <laughs> Travis Brown says, is the turkey monster uh, worse than the poultry geist? Yes, it was worse than the poultry geist. 
it was absolutely worse than the poultry guys. This may but, you be, know, yeah. uh, this may be one of the, the worst films that we've ever covered. I think I think it is. I think like, it is the I think yeah. it beats out Track of the Moon Beast. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> if they would have stuck to like one or two monsters and made, you know, more of a point to explain why they were there, maybe. Exactly. There's right. like plot threads that don't go anywhere. Like what like the like the like the old gay Jewish villain <laughs> who is running everything, and then all of a sudden they find him out and like he plays with dead bodies and stuff and wears a clown mask. And then when they figure out he's the bad guy, he bursts into flames. Yeah, and then he's just gone. And then it's like no ex <laughs> no exposition whatsoever. Ha ha! The bad guy burst into flames. That's it. Okay, bye. <laughs> so the hey, yeah, you know what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know, and, but I will point. I will. So you saw when you saw the opening, you saw the open. Like for some reason, very weird. The editing on this film opens. Ah, uh, it's gonna think, and then all of a sudden, there's a guy in a tree. Ah, oh, like the skull thing comes out of his stomach and shit. Yeah, what, I had what, to go. I had. I had to go and verify this. That fucking the skeleton head that rips out of his stomach. Yeah, that that prop was taken from Dawkins' music video, "Burning Like a Flame." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the like, guitar. Wait, the guitar yeah. turns into that monster. Like I've the. Seen ah. this before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I rewinded it like four or five times because I was like, "Where? Where is? I've seen this. What is this?" Yeah, that was probably actually the only good practical effect on the entire movie there were a couple there were only a couple but nonetheless it's it's a silly film and should only be watched for because it's just a filmmaker you know just getting it done no no matter the cost no matter the the i guess the the cost to his reputation or whatever but <laughs> man they were going to finish this fucking movie and they got it the fuck done so i have to give him a little bit of credit i have to give him credit for that that's that's dedication right there even though you know it's not going to work they 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 got it done. So, but if you want a good laugh, if you want something entertaining to watch, and a, a kind of a throwback to what you can do with stop motion, because yeah. stop motion animation with the with the totem monster and the 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 turkey monster. <laughs> I don't know it's a turkey monster. I don't know. All I know is they show turkeys. All of a sudden, there's a fucking kaiju behind them, yep. and nobody else sees the kaiju. I don't know why. <laughs> God, yeah, I don't know. It, it, none of it makes sense. It makes yeah, sense. very, very little. Uh, all right, we done with this one? Yes, yes, we we can we can ask this the CTA. Go, go check it out just for the shits and giggles because it's it's fun to watch. If you, if you or you can watch the, the riff tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna ask the audience because this one was pretty fucking terrible, and it might actually be on the list of worst worst horror movies ever. What do you think is the worst horror movie? Let us know ever. in the comments. Ever. Just ever in general. Ever in general. The worst horror film ever. Because I think this one beats out... Uh, I think it beats out Track of the Moon Beast. I think it beats out Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, I, I don't know if there's a worse one than this. I really yeah. don't. No, that's pretty bad. Uh, Travis Brown says, Your face was frozen by the Winter Beast. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta figure out what's going on with that. Of course, you know. Uh, definitely let us know in the comments or at the uh, weekendhorrorgmail.com. Travis Brown says, Mono's Hands of Fate, still the worst. Sir Captain says, yep, this one so far. And yeah. Factor says, Frogs, you take that back, good sir. Hey. You take back that blasphemy. Anything with Sam Elliott in it. <laughs> exactly. Not the worst. Joshua Lee says, Night Train to Terror, Mono's. I'll say, I'll say Mono's is worse than Night Train. I've seen Night Train. Uh, but still, 
I, 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 you said Mono's hands of, hands of fate. I still think that Winter Beast beats all of them out. Tony Regime says it has to be track of the movies because I've seen that. Ah, well, you haven't seen this, so go and see this. And Annie says my babysitter's a vampire is shit. <laughs> it's not McKinnon. good. Oh, go ahead. McKinnon oh, no. Mitchell is in the house. Yeah, hey, but then just drops this shit. Like, okay. Worst horror movie, Terrorizer. I don't know about that, dude. I don't know. Winter Beast was pretty fucking bad. It's, yeah. I, I okay, Winter Beast is so bad, it makes Skin of a Rink look like a fucking Oscar winner. It really <laughs> does. It's really bad. <laughs> not, it, it's not good. It, that's the thing, though. You can tell that it was a labor of love, and you can tell that it was shot over a long period of time with lots of ideas tried to cram into one thing. You can tell that's there. That's it, though. <laughs> that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's, it. that's pretty much it. What was the, the Thanks Killing was even better than this. Thanks Killing was better. Yeah. And and it was just more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's dive on to our next one. All right. But be sure to answer, let us know. What, what do you think is the worst horror movie ever? Down in the comments below or, of course, at weekendhorror.gmail.com. Now we're definitely going to go up in quality. We're going to absolutely going to go up in quality. And we're going to – oh, shut, shut your face. Uh, we, we have released May 9th, 1986. We have the uh, demonic slasher film, demonic sorority house slasher film, Killer Party. Let's check out this trailer. All right. So that was the trailer for Killer Party, which was a Canadian comedic supernatural slasher film directed by William Fruitt, written by Barney Cohen, starring Martin Hewitt, Ralph Seymour, Elaine Wilkes, Paul Bartell, and Joanna Johnson. So the film centers around a trio of sorority pledges who are doing Rush Week, um, accidentally unleash a demonic force after participate, participating in an initiation ritual in an abandoned house on their university's campus. Um, and there were some 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 uh, jail. Or sorry, Annie, Annie says it, it looks like this is more of a comedy. There were some comedic elements in the film, in your classic kind of you know, porky style run around the campus speaker, you know, animal house style antics that are going on. And, you know, the typical depiction of boys in college and girls in college, and it's all about hormones and sex and all kinds of nonsense. Um, these girls trying to pledge this, uh, this sorority, but, uh, and I'll admit it's a little on the slow side leading up to the third act. Cause the third act is when all the shit goes down, but I will give the film is, in my opinion, is an underrated gem. It's really, really strong. As far as acting goes and as far as practical effects goes, it's well shot. It's excellent production value. The house that they utilized, like the old abandoned house they utilized, was fantastic. Well lit. The sound was great. And I enjoyed all the all the extreme variety and all the different kills. Because nobody gets killed the same way. It's not like a slasher is walking around killing everybody the same way. Everybody goes in a different way, which is a lot, which I, I found to be refreshing, especially for as for an 80s film. But it definitely is like April Fool's Day meets The Exorcist is kind of what it's about, especially with the the final girl getting oh the the girl one of the the lead girl at the end getting possessed and doing the whole like climbing around and shit. But I thought it was a lot of fun and a nice little twist ending at the end. I didn't I didn't expect that I didn't see that coming. Where the it's like there really isn't a final girl at the end, which I thought was cool. So <laughs> it, it, you know it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it does something new. It's funny that you uh, that you mentioned April Fool's Day because this this was released I think the same year I believe and yes. the original film the original title for this film was supposed to be the April Fools 
and they changed it because you know because april fool's day came out they didn't want it to get confused with it um which actually probably would have helped them out a little bit because i think if i can find the number that i wrote down uh yeah it, so it, it was only released in like five different theaters and it made like a total of nine hundred dollars <laughs> it flopped so fucking hard it did so, it did yeah <laughs> It was unfortunately one of those slasher films that it was one of the, it came out in, you know, obviously, you know, the year that came in 1986. And so at the time at this, this is a, you know, a post Freddie post Jason post Michael Myers post check text chainsaw massacre. We've already got the big heavyweights. All the major heavyweights are playing in the, in the slasher genre. And then we've got all the kind of pretenders to the throne, everything from the burning to happy birthday, uh, you know, to happy birthday to me, April fool's day. There's so many that came out in the kind of the deluge of the 80s slasher genre that this one gets kind of buried but we've touched on a few that have been some some underrated gems where the director and the writer you know they attempted to, to dive into that particular subgenre but they don't try to reinvent everything but they do try to do something different so but in a world of sorority house massacres and, uh, and you know stuff like that going on they tried to do something a little bit different they took a little bit from the supernatural genre especially with a lot of inspiration from exorcist on this one and kind of brought it into this. So you see a bits and pieces of a lot of different subgenres. A lot of the, the kind of like the the the, the sex romp comedy uh, college movies and then of course the slasher itself is the you know the way people get killed and the the trope of the girls finding each body, finding all the way, you know going through that the, the body discovery section. But then the little twist at the end and the and the possession aspect, I found it kind of refreshing, especially in 1986 it was nice to go back and see something that wasn't so formulaic that you know because this at this point the subgenre had been well-defined and everybody knew what the tropes were. And this one changed up a little bit without putting one narrative like girls rule. Like there was a, um, the, the, oh, I forget the name of it, but the one with the, the killer that dressed up like the mascot with the razors in its, in its paws, you know, is the bear. In that particular one, there was the, there was the underlying narrative that girls kick ass and girls can handle themselves. So it really put it, this one doesn't push forward a narrative. It just puts, pushes forward this kind of interesting deal. Like, here's this, you know, kind of classic uh, depiction of college, supernatural elements, slasher elements, and here we go with a nice little twist ending at the end, which I thought was cool because I wasn't expecting the final girl. I was like, oh, the, she's the final girl. She's going to get saved. No, she gets fucking killed. And then it jumps to the next girl. And then it's ambiguous because they drive off. It's like, no, don't put me in there with her. And they drive off. It's like, oh, they're all going to they're all gonna fucking die. They're fucked. They're all fucked. There's no good ending here, which is fucking wild. You know? No, yeah, there's it's nothing nothing left to hang on. So it's not a cliffhanger in any way, shape, or form, which is it's nice. Kind of cleans up pretty nicely. That's, yeah, but it, like, it, okay. Okay, fine, JL. You polished this turd. It's better than you <laughs> produced. God. Uh, this is not a polish. This was a, a no. recognition of a of an underrated 80s horror film fair. that I thought was, uh, that I will admit, was a little slow in the first and second act as we're kind of developing everything. There's still a couple of kills there as we're establishing the identity of like, yeah, we have this college campus and then we have this one abandoned you know, house that's on the campus that was like the like you know, the, the, the sorority that was there, like abandoned it. And there was like a, a murder that took place there. And the for some reason, like the grave of the killer is on the property, which is really, really weird. Right. And so when they go to hold their party, their masquerade party at this abandoned house, and they're gonna do like this because somebody was was killed with a guillotine, like on the yeah. property. <laughs> and so they go to hold this uh this this kind of 
April Fool's masquerade party. And it turns into the side of the, that's why the, the, the one of the girls gets possessed is because they did the initiation ritual there. That's what summoned up the, uh, summoned up the demonic spirit. And then it possesses her. And it was a demonic spirit that, you know, that the previous tragedy resulted in. They called it back up and then they do it all again. But I look at the production value, look at the production value of what went into, especially the big final sequence. When you've got, when it's finally revealed, she's the possessed one. She's going to kill everybody that she goes all possessed and goes all fucking exorcist looking and crawling around on the fucking walls and shit. Like I gotta give it to her. That I mean, uh, she literally, um, as as far as uh, acting goes, um, Elaine. I think it was Elaine Wilkes was yeah Phoebe. Uh, she was amazing, and and Jennifer Beatty. Jennifer Beatty as the as the girl as uh, as uh, or sorry Joanna uh, Joanna Johnson who played Jennifer who was the winds up being the girl possessed at the end. All of them were fantastic. The classic kind of depictions of your '80s kind of girls in college. And they all work well together. The the uh, the, uh, the chemistry is there. There's no there isn't really an odd person out, and everything kind of melded very well. This is a very well constructed, well crafted, well shot horror film. Good good practical effects, good kills. You know, especially all of a sudden it's like, it's like one of those moments with the weird with the the fucking diving suit suddenly appears out of nowhere with the fucking trident. Where did that come from? It was like shit that that was in the house at the time. If you notice, these little details are subtly set up in the beginning. So good continuity. All the little good filmmaking tidbits that a lot of people often take, oftentimes take for granted is all in here. Which why I got I got to give it credit. Even Joe Bob Briggs, he saw it was like holy shit, like <laughs> this is well done. If you can put aside the uh, the obvious blood capsule bite downs and. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All the really, you know, and there was some quirky uh, when they're shooting near um, was like one of those snack stands. You can see the crew in the reflection. Like there's there's little things that are just there that stand out. It's I see. I can't totally agree that it's this underrated thing, but but they had a lot of fun filming it. The actors, you can tell the actors were having fun. They were really diving into their roles. I'll give it that much, but. <laughs> it's shit in an abandoned house on a college campus in this economy yeah okay <laughs> this is true this is only a situation that can take place in the 80s um <laughs> sir Kaz says i think someone is nostalgic for shitty 80s slashers i'm nostalgic for all 80s slashers but this one was a particularly good one like you know but i will i will say this one ranks up there with other ones like april fool's day or happy birthday to me <clears throat> where they try to or they try to do something a little different and while it still kind of falls prey to the formulaic structure of the slasher films of the 80s, because you couldn't help it. That's ostensibly what you're making. So you're going to fall prey to that. But you try to do something to make yourself stand out from the herd. And this was a solid attempt at doing that. Like, like, this, like the switch up at the end of Happy Birthday to me. Or even April Fool's Day was like, ha, none of it really happened. We got you. Uh. <laughs> at least it's something different. You know, let the heavyweights do what they do best. And then we'll try to to run on that and do something a little bit different, and you know, try to have a little bit more fun with it. And so I really, really enjoyed it. That it was kind of like because I because that's what sold me. I did not expect the ending that we got when the final girl gets smoked, when she's like, "No, you have to do this. You have to kill me to get like this." No, I'm not going to do it. And she fucking impales her ass. I was like, "Holy fuck! You oh, killed the hero! Like she the girl is she's dead." Like just ran her through her fucking chest and shit. And I was like, damn. 
It was all for naught, though, which was hilarious. Which is all for naught. And then all of a sudden, ah, it jumped bodies. Ha ha. It's like, that's the big reveal. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, girls, you're going to be okay. Get up in the ambulance. We're going to go to the hospital. And then it's revealed that one is like, ha ha, I'm still possessed. Ah. And then I was like, damn. That caught me off. I was like, wasn't expecting that little turn. That's why I appreciated this one so much. Because they they made it their own, which is always a good thing. And good to see Ida Pimp Utaho. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Christo Kiernium, good to see you. Says, hey, JL, howdy, everyone. Good to see you. Uh-huh. McKenna Mitchell says, never seen it, but it might not be that it's underrated, but rather that JL can appreciate the quality of film, it could have been if the talent involved had better resources, potentially. More money will will generally make a production better, not always, but generally will. And definitely, with the money that they had to work with, and I think the budget on this one was actually fairly small. I think it was, I think it was less than a million. It was more than nine hundred bucks. That's for sure. What they said it was more than nine hundred dollars. That's for sure. More than nine hundred dollars. <laughs> okay. So, but what they do from what they were pull off, like the whole sequence when she, when uh, when Jennifer's possessed and she starts climbing all over the walls and shit, the whole destruction of the property, like the setup. There was a stunt in there that I had to look into because it seriously looked like one of the 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 girl who plays. Um, uh, I think it was. Uh, was it was it Vivia? Uh, I think it was Vivia. I think it was Vivia. Sherry Wills Birch. She's on the staircase and like literally, like the monster, like the like the, the ghost, the demon thing, has got telekinesis. It's ripping the house apart, trying to get her, and it pulls down a section of the beaming on that thing, and it yeah. literally falls on her. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit! I thought I thought that because it looked it, it clips the back of her head. And I was well, like, and Damn. it's wild because you could tell it's not light. It's not styrofoam because it hits the ground hard. Right. Yeah. So I was like, I mean. Back these safety concerns really weren't what what they are today, and so but there was some fantastic. There's some fantastic production value. The whole sequence where she's ripping apart the house is legit because they're working on a stage, and you have people that are up in the air, like up on a staircase, as the staircase is being systematically ripped out from underneath them. You don't want them to fall, and so you have moments like that. Then the whole sequence where she's climbing on the walls up there to get to him. She gets up on the banister, then she's swinging around on the fucking chandelier and shit. Some Sam Raimi inspired stuff. When yeah. it was talking e, like Evil Dead inspired stuff went into oh, this, yeah. and I was very impressed. So I recognize what it goes into. I think what we, we try to recognize what goes into these things and how to, you know, to shoot these things, and that's where we get a, kind of a, our, the love for them. We can appreciate them for what they are. Yeah, no, you're not. I mean, you're not wrong. It, it's a turd, but it's you know, it, it's different. You're not wrong in that aspect. They they didn't they didn't try to you know cash grab. And they could have because there was a lot going on in the eighties that you could have just hacked it. You could have hung on to anything. You could have grabbed anything, run with it, and probably made a bunch of money off of it. Um, mm-hmm. So just you know, they did something different. The actors look like they're having a good time. The effects were much better than Winter Beast. So <laughs> yes, they were. For it. Brian I've seen Powell, a little sparkle on this turd now. Thank you. So I, I honestly, I don't think it's a turd. I think uh, th- it was a really, really fun one um, that, you know, like I said, brought something a little bit new to the genre, especially in 1986 when everyone was being inundated with the, you know, the, the like the, the, the formulaic slasher subgenre. Everybody wanted to be the next Friday the 13th. Everybody wanted to be the next Nightmare on Elm Street or something, one of the big ones. And this took some solid elements and put them together, closed them together, and was made really smart. Like the individuals behind it. So I thought I'd say William Fruitt is the mind behind all this. And the big thing about it is that, you know, people may not be familiar with William Fruitt. He's still alive today. He was born in 33. He's a Canadian film director, television director, playwright, screenwriter. Uh, he's 90 years old. Um, but this cat, and I had to look into it, was like, it was like for the budget and for what the story they're telling, this movie was fucking well-crafted. 
So who was the mind behind this? And the legend behind this is a dude named William Fruitt. William Fruitt is the guy, is the director who led the charge in this bad boy. And I, I, gave, I took just a quick look. It's like, who is this guy? Like, it was one of those names I should know. And absolutely it is because he is fucking legendary <laughs> in not only just film itself, but also in horror, the horror genre, horror and sci-fi. Because his television credits, this cat, check the cat worked on the Ray Bradbury Theater, Alfred Hitchcock's Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Friday the 13th, the series, War of the Worlds, Outer Limits, Goosebumps, Poltergeist, the Legacy. Uh, Animorphs. The, 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 I mean, there's nothing the dude hasn't touched. Yeah. And he has a, a fantastic grasp on what works and what doesn't. And that's why everything in this film, in Killer Party, works so well. He'd been working since 1972, so Killer Party was actually fairly early in his career. So, But he'd done a number of horror films. And, and he all, I mean, there's also, back in those days, doing movies like this, you, you kind of started in like erotic thrillers, kind of like Wes Craven did. Like Wes Craven got started doing like erotic thriller films and before he segued into horror. And so did uh, Fruitt, but found his niche in doing the macabre and the thriller and the horror. And this has been running ever since. The, I think um, I think he's since retired. His last film was uh, Matty Hansen, The Invisibility Ray in 2011. So he hasn't worked in quite a while or that we that, that is listed as far as his filmography goes. But... You know, 27 episodes of Goosebumps, the show that we fucking love. Yeah. <laughs> this guy directed. So I knew a that there's a style there that works. God, and Animorphs. I don't know if anybody out there was a big Animorphs nerd, but he he did some work with Animorphs too. He did two, yeah, two episodes cool. on Animorphs. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was good. But yeah, there was a ton of TV, a ton of TV that you would have seen because it was big. It was big names. It was nothing little. So yeah. He's all over everything. McKinnon Mitchell says, so basically this film is a representation of Jack Sparrow effectively making it to land on a sinking ship. Yes, the, sh the ship sank, but he made it, God damn it! So he steps off onto the dock. <laughs> uh, I, you, I think you could put it that way. You could say it that way. Um, this, and, you know, Watching this one introduced me to, uh, to oh, give me a bit of information, a bit of insight into so, you know, a director that I that I really wasn't aware of. And I love diving into it. I love checking out his filmography. He's got so many good ones. Um, his very first film was Wedding in White, which was a 72 drama film that was based, that was adapted from a play that he wrote that starred Carol Kane and, and Donald Pleasance. Two fucking legends. His very first film, Carol Kane and Donald Pleasance were in this when one. When was that? Oh, that was 1972. 1972. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> And then he went right after that and went into Death Weekend, <laughs> which was a, a vacation-style horror thriller film. So this guy, the guy knew what he was. He knew what he was one of the one of the un, kind of the unseen legends. And this was one of the results of that. And he had a really firm grasp of what works, what doesn't. Not to mention, you can see inspirations there. You know, you know he, he he watched the films that came before him. He right. knew what worked, and he knew what didn't. He said, "I'm going to use this aspect, this aspect, and we're going to apply it in this way." So you can see his love of all the genres, of all the genres he loved, whether it was the the the, uh, the hanky-panky comedy of the 80s of college 80s films like Animal House, shit like that, and Porky's. And then you uh, then juxtapose against like the exorcist possession horror, the exorcist, good practical effects and slasher films like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he brings them all together. Oh, definitely My Bloody Valentine was a big influence on this one. And you can tell from a lot of the way the kill, the lot of the ways the killer is shot, 
because Bible Lady Valentine was also a Canadian horror film that came out a few years before this. So he took what worked and he knew it, he recognized it, and he ran with it. This that's what makes this film stand out as an underrated gem, in my opinion. In my opinion, I will say. In my humble <laughs> opinion. We're probably gonna get some serious hate for shitting on Winter Beast because we we talked about a movie years ago. God, it was like I we got a comment on on YouTube. And I don't know if you read it, but we got a comment on one of our, it was one of our season two episodes, I think, uh, before we switched to the new thumbnail design. And I, I don't know specifically, but someone says, is like, he said, it, the comment was, it was weird to hear people ripping on a movie that a friend of theirs was so intimately involved in creating. Oh, damn. Sorry. And they got, they, they you could tell there was kind of an underlying rage, there. <laughs> <laughs> but they tried not to be too mad. They were kind of like, and I was, and I, and I was very, I, was, I tried to be diplomatic. It's like, hey, it's our opinions, you know. Yeah. We, but you know, the difference is that we're not reviewers. We're we're doing review, but we're speaking from this, from the from the perspective of filmmakers that we 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 know what we're familiar with how the sausage is made. So we're looking at it from that perspective, and filmmakers on filmmakers, yeah. Right. So it just it, it always feels bad, but we because we've slaughtered a couple fucking movies on oh, this, God, yeah. and. And it, uh, there's been a couple of them where they've been like, fuck you. How dare you hate on my fucking, uh, this movie that I fucking love. And I'm like, easy there, Chief. Easy. <laughs> I get, well, it's hard because you, you're not wrong. You get it in the can. That's your baby. You know, that's that's your baby. And I'm sorry for ripping on it, but it just wasn't great. I hope you went on to do better things. <laughs> not all babies are beautiful when they're born. This is just a reality of the fact. Sometimes when the baby comes out, it's like, oh, what a baby. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a like a wet basset hound coming in through the cat door. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh no, no, we're ripping on people's babies. Oh, this is true. <laughs> Damn. Oh man. But yeah, definitely check it out. But the thing that I want to ask the audience tonight, as far as like the setting, the college horror film, the, the horror film set at college, they make for some of the best. You know, big college campuses, co-eds running around, horny out of their minds, drugs everywhere. Always oh, makes for a good, a great, oh yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> for you perfect for it. I mean, it's so real. It's so realistic too. But actually, it kind of is realistic. That was my experience. <laughs> it was my. It was. It was motherfuckers running around trying to get laid, do drugs, shit like that, while trying to maintain a C plus average. And so, <laughs> I have to. Uh, so arguably one of the best settings for horror films. I want to ask the audience and everybody out there listening, what in your opinion is the best college set horror film? The best horror film set in college or college is a backdrop. What, what is your favorite? What do you think is the best? Let us know in the comments below, or of course, at weekendhorror at gmail.com here in the live chat as well. And we'll see what everybody has to say. Extra J is here. Good to see you, Extra J. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And before we move on to this next, before I kick it to you, uh, Anna Anna asked, uh, what's our take on the Writer's Guild strike? And at first, I, I, I don't know how much you how much of you looked into this, Alex. I just briefly read a couple of just why. I mean, I haven't really looked at any side, so I'm not really okay. one way or the other on this yet. So I so I had to look into it might as well because this one is not so cut and dry as right. it was in the previous writer's strike. The previous writer's strike was about was about money. It was about we're not getting paid equal to what we're doing. And they managed to hammer out new terms. The union was able to hammer out new terms, hammer out new terms for them, and everything worked out good. Unfortunately, 
some of our favorite shows took the brunt of that. And, you know, it, it hurt. You know, Supernatural was one that really got hit hard by the writer's strike. But we have a new one going on. And I had to look into try to understand what this was. And I actually, having read what they're fighting for and looked at the way things are trending as far as productions go, I have to agree with them. I have to agree. I, I'm on the side of the writers on this one, not because I'm a writer. I'm not with the WGA. <clears throat> I haven't qualified to be with the WGA yet. So I have to say I agree with this because streaming services are becoming so uh, are becoming such heavyweight players when it comes to to content. When it comes to new production content, we're getting you know like Netflix has gone into original content, content, Amazon, Hulu, so on and so forth. The problem is is that the way production is done on these is different than your, than your standard kind of production. And the presence of the streaming platforms is beginning to turn writing into gig work instead of career work. And the, and the issue is that this causes a direct problem because they will only hire WGA stuff like writers guild uh, people that will hire them for union, but they're not hiring them to the extent that they can actually maintain the hours that they're getting to get their benefits. Right. And so because they're turning it into a gig, into gig work instead of career work, this is forcing a lot of individuals who are like, kind of like, well, shit, I need the hours in you know, to not only cover my dues, but also to get my benefits, my, you know, to, to get all the, the benefits of being a part of the union. And so I get, I get what it is. Like the public's appetite is going in one direction and the streaming platforms are simply making, are taking advantage of that. The, the model is changing. Unfortunately, the model is not conducive to the old model when writers could be brought on for like an entire season or an entire show where now you know, the career writing gig. Now it's you're basically jumping from gig to gig to gig. So Netflix will hire you for like a week. You'll punch out the stuff and then you're done. That's not enough. No. And yeah. So it, these people went to school. They went to school and they spent a lot of money going to school to learn how to do this professionally, like you said, as a career. And by the time they got out of school and got into working, the streaming platform took over so hard that all they could get was gay work. That pissed people off. I get it. School's fucking expensive. Now you got to pay for it. You can't really switch careers right now because it's just not a good time to do that. So right. you, you got to do something. You push back. And so that's that's good. Go on strike. Fight for what the fuck you, you want because... Nowadays, if you roll over and take it, it, you just get left under, you know, swept under the rug, you get left behind. So exactly. it's good, you know, I just quick dove into how many people are, you know, 11,500 writers are involved in this thing. And so it, it's good. Stand up. Make a, make a fucking stand. Especially when it comes to stuff, like you said, like career work. You went into this, it was one thing, it changed so quickly that now you're, you're screwed. There's still a market for it. You just got to be fair. It's just right. the streaming has monopolized the industry so much. You turn on Netflix without even thinking about it. Now you flip your TV on, you hit your Netflix or your Paramount or whatever. You're not looking at anything. Shit, man. It's it, with the pandemic and the, the theaters going down for a couple of years and the aspect of that, you know, it shifted so hard so fast. It's screwing a lot of people over. So there's got to be fair contracts. When you sign these people on, make sure you got who you want, like on a Netflix show or, you know, a series or a, a movie, hire those people for long term. Give them fair contracts. Hey, we'll, we'll take you for, you know, 50 episodes. We need you for two years or whatever. Yeah, here's your fair contract, not that one week bullshit because it's garbage. The, the economy is in fucking shambles. You need the money. You're, you're going to lose it. 
you're going to lose all these good writers because you're not being fair. And so, yeah, yeah. from that, that point, from that aspect, it's like, yeah, I get it. Go for it. Stand up. Make some fucking noise. Agreed. Agreed. Now, that being said, as an, as an independent writer, as a freelancer like my, uh, myself, I'm not a part of the union. If I got a chance to join the WGA, that'd be fucking cool. I would love to be able to do union gigs. That would be fantastic, but I haven't, I'm not at that level yet. I'm not at that, I guess I'm not at that rec- recognizable level yet. So, but if I get to that point, fuck yeah, I will do it. But until then, I'm a writer and I'm for hire. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know, because I'm not Just with the, I'm not with the union. I'm not with the guild. So, you're going to be a so scab. You want to be a I can scab? Work. Well, I know is though, because I'm not scabbing because I'm, I'm not a part of the union. If, that's that's not scabbing. You have to be a part of the union and then do work, right? Is that, is that scabbing yes. or? Depends. I mean, technically no, but okay. So yeah, I could do it. So I could definitely do it. Uh, let me see. Uh, to the previous question, sarcasm said Sir, uh, slumber party massacre. Awesome, very cool. Love it. Uh, Nova said happy death day. Fucking a. Andrew Rivera said night of the creeps. Oh, my fucking one of my favorites. <laughs> one of my favorites is up there. Uh, uh, Joshua Lee says the faculty. That was a high school one. And I think Denova pointed it out. It was a, it was a high school one, but still a good alien, you know, invasion one. McKenna Mitch said urban legend, maybe. Ooh, got the Rebecca Gayhart, uh, <laughs> got the Noxzema girl uh, fascination going on. Uh, awesome. Uh, and a little bit. Of, it was a, oh fuck, man! It was fucking Rebecca Gayhart. It was fucking Jer- uh, Jared Leto. Uh, Jared <laughs> the, the, the names that were in there it was like, oh fucking crazy. Uh, tra- oh, and fucking uh, what's her name? Shit. Oh, I've totally forgot because I. I keep seeing her come up and stuff, and she's one of the. And I just, I have to say, she's just, she's not a good actress. <laughs> um, but she was the fucking lead in that movie. Oh damn it! I had her. I used to know her because she was on Fear the. She was on The Walking Dead. Uh, the Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead? She was on The Walking Dead when uh, she was when when the saviors show up and Maggie and uh, when Maggie and the. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, Carol, when Maggie oh, and Carol get kidnapped and yeah. they get dragged off by the group, she was the red-haired chick. Uh, oh fucking! Oh what they? No. Yeah, that was nineteen ninety-eight. So Alicia Witt, Alicia Witt was was the the lead on that one. And oh god, fucking hell! That, that girl <laughs> just has the hardest time. It really does. <laughs> uh, let me see. Robert Biter said Flatliners. Fucking a. Uh, Tony Regime said Sorority House Massacre. Awesome. Denova 28 said Black Christmas. Awesome. Jay versus everything's turning into gig work. It completely sidesteps labor laws. Absolutely. That's what they're fighting for. And I support them on that. I support them. If I was part of the, if, if I was a part of it, if I was part of the guild, I'd be on strike as well. But I'm not. So, but, you know, and I still, I still get paid doing writing gigs, doing, doing independent writing. I still do gig work. So if something comes up, I will get paid for it. So, um, let me see. Uh, Raven Dark says, even some of the actors are getting ticked by streaming services. They've changed the landscape. Streaming services have changed the landscape. They absolutely have. And NA is calling me a scab because he is in the <laughs> union. Uh, McKinnon Mitchell says, look, people can call me a scab all day long. If one of those platforms comes for me, I'm going to be the most writing this son of a bitch that's ever lived. I'm independent. If I suddenly get a call that Netflix wants to do a scary movie or a scary series, and they and they see my work and they give me a call and said, Hey, are you represented? No, I'm not. And they want to offer me something. Yes, I'm gonna take it. Because I'm not a part of the guild. If I was in the guild, I'd say no. We're on strike. I can't take and I can't take union work. 
you know, respect the union, but I'm not a part of the union. So, and I'm still one of the, one of the little fish, still one of the little fish that still has to survive. <laughs> little fish still got to eat. <laughs> and it says, just kidding. My union does nothing for me. <laughs> Some of them are pretty worthless. This is true. All right. So let's dive into our next one. I know this one. We're not going to be talking about this one for very long. I was going to say, do we have to dive into it or can we just kind of skim it real quick? <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to do that. Oh, Jayverse, Truth Seekers Season 2. If I could make a Season 2 for Truth Seekers come true, I would. Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, you know, drama, comedy, paranormal investigators. If I could make a Season 2 of that happen, if I could just take a dump truck of money and just dump it on Simon Pegg and Nick Frost to make that happen, I would. I would. Unfortunately, too much time has probably gone by. Um, maybe if Netflix had picked them up or if somebody else had picked up the show, but it didn't happen. I don't know why, because that show has amazing reviews, both commercially and critically. Everybody enjoyed it. So I don't know why that show didn't get renewed. You know, to bring back Nick Frost, sorry, uh, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Malcolm McDowell, Emma Darcy, everybody that was involved in that. But then that we look at cat looking thing. Yeah, the, a lot of these individuals, unfortunately, have gone on to have now enough times gone by. They're on to bigger and bigger things. Emma Darcy's on on House of the Dragon now, which I don't know, may be affected. I don't know by the writer strike. And then you've got you know Nick and Simon are on to their things as well. Everybody's involved in other shit. So, but if I can make a season two happen, I would. Fucking love that show. Fucking that hell, man. Good. It pissed me off when it got when it got canceled. But let's dive into this next film. Take it away, bud. All right. We're gonna talk about Sheepskin came out May 10th, 2016. Question mark. Question yeah. mark? 2016? <laughs> 2013. Oh, oh, yeah, because there was a short film. And yeah. this was inspired by the short film. This was the feature length of the short. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Check out this trailer. Fuck, I love the horror TV. I fucking love it. I don't know if that's a dig against the flat earthers, but but nonetheless, but yeah. Silence Kimmel or Science Kimmel. Uh, directed by Curtis Spieler. Um, this one stars Rhea Burns Wilder, Brian Manley Davis, uh, Jamie Lynn Bagley, Lawrence Mullaney. Just the coolest names in this one. Mark Resnick, Michael Shantz. Uh, so essentially, because it's pretty cut and dry, this is a group of these punk kids kind of kidnap this businessman because they think he's a werewolf and then torture and interrogate him and shit just hits the fan. Then shit gets real. Shit so does, get, it, it does kind of get real. Pretty fucking real, pretty fast. <laughs> I wish yeah. they'd gotten the chainsaw more involved so it could have gotten more real, but could, you know. It definitely could have. Shit but, does yeah. definitely get real. Shit got pretty I, fucking real. So I have to. So okay. So this was for me. This was, and Sir Kevin says he hears the turd polisher warming back up again. So I, I don't <laughs> think I need to warm it up for this one. Nah. There's not a lot to polish as far as this film goes, but I will say that Sheepskin, despite the, the uh, I think that the title it could have been titled better. Uh, I get it, like the sheep hiding, you know, the like sheep in wolf's clothing, or the, the like the wolf in sheep's clothing. I get it, and I, but I think that the title could have been a little bit better. Um, but nonetheless, I thought it was an oddly satisfying little werewolf romp. But the problem is, is that the, it's two different films. Is that one like the I would say three quarters of the movie is the is he is he not kind of setup. 
Right. And then the final act, you find out that he is. Because they they play the whole is he, is he not all the way up to the last moment. And then all of a sudden, then then the big reveal is done. And we realize, oh, he he was a monster the whole time. He was a werewolf the whole time. I think that, but it was, it, what I found entertaining was, even though they did their best with the werewolf, because the problem is with werewolves, and I think you'll agree with me on this, with the werewolf film, it comes down to the transformation. Yep. It's always about the transformation. 100% of the time. Absolutely. And that's, you don't get, you don't get that satisfaction in this one for sure. And that's it. You, like you, like you said, so it's all right. It's one of those like one location shots, you know, it shoots. It's, it's just, there's kind of one area. You've got this one idea. You're focused on one thing and they have to focus really hard on like acting like you're acting essentially like this, this businessman, he's acting as not a monster and he, he's very convincing the acting is not bad in this one which really pulls it along because it is kind of like it's very straight and narrow it, the, here's the idea you're gonna like you're gonna debate the whole time whether he is or he isn't and at the end everybody puts their guess in and then the reveal of woo okay and then you move on and so it's it's good acting i like the the way that they used the set i like um i like the idea they throw a lot of stuff in there that you can kind of go back and be like, yeah, well, that wasn't really said here. They use these these lines and these phrases that are kind of like, yeah, but no, you're kind of wrong here. Let me correct you. And then you get to the end and you're like, okay, all right. It's kind of underwhelming, not terrible. The acting's good, like I said, but it's just kind of, there's no depth really to it until you, know, you get the build up and then you get the release and then it's like, oh, okay, all right. Right. It, it, it feels it okay so and like to go on what you said like i said like the, the back half of the like the very end of the film the last like say 10 minutes 10, yeah, 10, 15 10 minutes, minutes or so, yeah. it, it then turns into a werewolf movie before that it's all about is it is it not kind of suspense tension building but it's uh, like the the whole like first portion of the movie is really about just the acting itself so when you have a film that's set up like this where your big reveal is until the very very end and it's everything is going to be up in questions like is he a, is he a monster is he not is he a werewolf is he not and when you spend this much time you have got to ensure the quality of your writing and you've got to ensure the quality of your acting so it's not just about having uh conversations that are that are as natural as possible for such an extreme event when these when these uh punk these punk rock and these members of this this punk rock band kidnap this businessman and then hold him hostage trying to you know get him to admit the fact that he is a werewolf and the reason they've done this is because the lead singer uh was got involved he that the the businessman was having an affair with his sister and he wound up and she wound up dead ripped apart and he's like but so they suspects that he's a werewolf there's not a lot of exposition as to like how he got onto it but just a matter of like we think you are but we we, we need confirmation before we kill you Right. Is the whole kind of thing, which is why they want him to admit to it. So the whole thing is character driven from from point from the, from the start all the way up. It's all characters. It's everybody just trying to sell their moment, like sell their interpretation of the story of what's going on. And then things get a little chaotic when they bring the wife in, and, and so. But then in the last moment, you get the so it kind of drops the ball on the werewolf film on the werewolf aspect because it, there's no real transformation. But I will say the lead up to it was I think was as well done as it could have been, yeah. given. The talent they had, the budget that they had to work with, the talent they had access to, and the writing itself was was decent. This it, it's not we've definitely encountered worse. You know, right. I would say it's it's B movie. 
you know, at best. It's, oh, yeah. it's, you you get you get what you pay for is what it is. And so there were some moments where I'm sitting there thinking as a writer, like, ah, I, I would have that a little bit different, maybe a little bit more dynamic camera work to kind of liven things up a little bit, a little bit more subversive camera work would have would have worked. I honestly was expecting that the wife was the werewolf. That's what I was anticipating. Cause because I didn't know what kind of a mode where you anticipate a certain kind of twist. Yeah. And I thought. I thought that the wife was the werewolf and that would be the big reveal is when they shoot her and she drops, but those aren't, those weren't regular, those weren't silver bullets. They shot her with the lead guys got the silver bullets on her. Right. So they pop her, she drops. And then I was going to be like, Oh, you killed my wife, you killed my wife. And then when all eyes are off of her, she's actually revealed to be the werewolf and she kills them. And she's the one who killed the mistress to protect okay. her marriage and the family. See, I that thought that's, been, huh? That would have been good. See, that would have been a twist that you could have put at the end of it. But they focused really hard because there was, they focused really hard on the the sheep and wolf's clothing, like you said, or the wolf and sheep's clothing. And they also, it was almost like they were trying to do like having an excuse to do something bad. You believe in something so hard and you're going to, you know, like pull the trigger, but you got to make sure it's for a justifiable reason. Right. And, and they pushed that really hard into it where I think they could have done something like, hold on, let's make it all twisty and churny and fuck the, the black and white moral, you know, situation dilemma that we've put in front of you. Let's twist it up a little bit, make it more entertainment, less, um, you know, point driven or, or, you know, belief driven. And so, cause it is, it's a lot of like, like I said, it's like, um, I'm going to kill you, but I need to make sure that I'm going to feel okay about it afterwards. Exactly. Now, I did see uh, going through it. I will admit there was a lot of there was a lot of like if, if you notice as you watch the film, there's a bunch of little Easter eggs that go to a number of other uh, a number of other uh, werewolf films. Werewolf, uh, yeah, for example, yeah. yeah, there's a there's the the the, the gig that like the like the music gig that takes place in London. That's this is like it was specifically in like it was so it was, oh, okay, American Werewolf in London. The name of the building that they take it to was Talbot Industries. Yes, Talbot, yeah, so Talbot from yeah, from the Wolf. Yep. And then, yeah, so I, there's a lot of love for there. There's a lot of nice little Easter eggs that are dropped in there. Did you catch and, the Howling one? The, I, the sticker, the the smiley face on the. Oh yes, the, yes, yeah, the 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 killer in the house, the serial killer in the in the in the in the Shining, who would leave the smiley face to every one of his kills, yep. right? So there's a lot of little uh, little throwbacks or a little uh, little fun things that are in there. Now, but the one thing that I got and I got the most influence off of was Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers, because Dog Soldiers, arguably one of the best werewolf films out there, Neil Mar with Neil Marshall's first film. Still hoping one day we get a sequel to that movie. Um, but Dog Soldiers is up there with the Howling as far as because what really drives these things, the two things that drive the werewolf film, is the transformation itself. The painful, gruesome, brutal transformation. That's an important aspect of a werewolf movie, but also the character development. Because the concept of the, the, the underlying framework of the werewolf uh, film is, is human du the duality of human nature. Is the, the one side versus the other side. The beast within, sh shit like that. And so you must drive that. The, the characters that you're, that you're dealing with must drive the narrative. They have to be strong enough and well-written enough to make this thing cohesive. The reason dog soldiers work so well is because we have a military unit that is so cohesive. It has this brilliant chemistry and each one of them is a rich and detailed character and how they all work together within this extreme scenario. All of a sudden there's fucking werewolves 
What the fuck? And now we have Wait to defend our did you hey? Did you catch the uh, what is it? Love, sex, robots episode with the dog soldiers? Or the yes, yes, with the with the werewolves that work for the government. And yeah. yes, I did. That was pretty good. <laughs> I just saw and, that. And so we've got, and uh, that's the that's the key thing is that I see a lot of influence. I saw a lot of influence from not only the Howling, but all predominantly from Dog Soldiers, where we have a group of individuals, which is the punk rock band. They have their their own kind of they have their own shorthand. They they know each other very very well, and they are dealing with an extraordinary situation, in which they have kidnapped a person who may or may not be a werewolf. So nor, so these individuals in the suddenly chaotic situation, they're trying their best, like bare just white knuckle, trying to keep it under control, and things start unraveling like a fucking guy Ritchie guy Ritchie film, and so. <laughs> I took that that inspiration. For, yeah, I say that they took the inspiration from Neil Marshall predominantly because we see these people who have a plan. They're trying to white knuckle their way through it while things are just going to absolute fucking batshit all around them. <laughs> and then it turns out that it actually is a fucking werewolf and it jumps up and starts you know fucking killing everybody. So I like that they went in that direction. I wish the only thing I wish they would have made this film a bit better is just more money. More money and more time is the only thing that this film missed. It's like if they had a larger budget and more time to solidify the script a little bit, to, to, to really put the nuance in the writing. I wish they'd had more. Unfortunately, unfortunately this is, a, this is a, uh, an example of a film that works fantastically on paper, but really needs attention to detail and a very specific director with a certain vision behind the camera. Otherwise, it's going to come off as formulaic. You're going to wind up giving away the twist at the end, or you're going to wind up giving away in the end. You've got to have people care. We're in the situation with them. More time, more money is the only thing this thing missed. Otherwise, I think it would have been a really solid hit. Otherwise, it was just kind of satisfying. It was like, oh, okay, not bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the werewolf kind of looked like the dog guy in the costume at the end of The Shining. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I can forget. <laughs> he came out of the shadows, kind of like, whoa, wait, wait, hang on a second. Hang hey, on. hold up, hold up. up. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, okay. <laughs> but otherwise, I thought, I thought everybody did fairly well in it. There was good camaraderie. There was good chemistry between the members of it. You got the one unhinged guy, the one guy who's not so sure, the leader and the girlfriend. Um, I wish the chainsaw had gotten kind of involved, but yeah, I can see where they took their inspiration and it worked really, really well. I just wish they'd had more money. And the unfortunate thing about watching Sheepskin is you can it is it reminds you, like many, many of the films we talked about, it reminds you of the of the ones that did it that that were able to really maximize their budget in their writing, like they move like movies like Bad Moon or um Bad Moon is a really, really good werewolf film, but there was an oh damn it, there was another one with Nick Dimici. I fucking love it so much, uh, and I now for some. Uh, I'm totally forgetting the, the goddamn name of it. Um, I'm gonna look it up. So, Night of the Wolf. So, oh, late phases. Late phases is one of my absolute favorites oh, we because Nick one, yeah. because that one is a it shows the character driven aspect. It's why the Howling works so well. It's right. because we love D. Wallace. We love everybody who's involved in this. And they make such believable and strong, rich characters that we care what happens to them and we can follow along them on, follow along with them on their journey. So Damn it, we gotta come up with a a dog soldier's sequel and call it Zero Bark 30. <laughs> That's fucking funny. The 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 proposed sequel, I think, that Neil Marshall played was Dog Soldiers Fresh Meat was the name of the of the okay. proposed sequel. But I don't know if we're ever going to get it. 
So it was a play. It was the plan sequel was uh, was fresh meat. Um, but it, that was announced back in like oh four. So I don't oh, know okay. if we're ever. I don't know if we're ever going to get that movie. We probably won't, which is a fucking shame. No, we will. And as he, he noticed, like huh? I said we will, and then it'll end up like Winter Beast. Right, right. And you see, you and you see that same kind of like the same kind of writing. This is why the the movie The Descent works so well. It's, right. it's the same kind of thing where you have it's, it's like almost the same kind of idea, but The Descent works well because you have a very tightly knit group facing an extreme situation, just like the girl, like the girls, the, all the uh, the the mountaineering and splunking girls that are dealing with the crawlers in the movie, which is also a a, a martial film. So, yeah, all right. I think that's enough on this turn <laughs> no this one was pretty good the acting is pretty good it's a good uh it's a good hour 20 minutes of fun um so i want to ask the audience since we've now covered i think pretty much every good werewolf film what do you think is the scariest film werewolf after the transformation after the amazing transformation that you wait for the, the whole movie what do you think was the scariest film werewolf I, I still got to say the howling werewolves are still the it, scariest. I think, I think scariest and best transformation. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. I think so. I think yeah, those were those were fucking freaky. The uh, the the howling werewolves are still my absolute favorite because um, they're just like so fucking badass. Oh, Angel Rivera. Oh, sarcasm agrees. The howling and Angel Rivera says silver bullet. Interesting. That's interesting. Okay. All right. That was pretty Very cool. Oh, Joshua, Joshua uh, Wolf. That was Jack Nicholson yeah, yeah. and Wolf. Awesome. <laughs> Travis Brown. Neither of any of them. <laughs> Fact says Teenage World from London. Very cool. That was a good one. <laughs> Raven Dark says Dog Soldiers too. Pork, pork, nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, Bad Moon was a pretty good one. Bad Moon was a pretty good werewolf. Uh, yeah. That was a good, solid uh, werewolf. And I love it because in Bad Moon, the German Shepherd kicks the shit out of the werewolf. It was fucking amazing. <laughs> Loved that fight. Uh, Tony Regime says Michael J. Fox. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Teen Wolf. Uh, Extra J says Howling, but I really love that transformation of American Werewolf in London. Fucking A. Hell yes. Josh Lee says the transformation in Van Helsing was good. It was. Hugh Jackman yeah. as a werewolf. And that werewolf was pretty, I mean, that was a stacked fucking, that was, that was, the, that was a werewolf that's modeled after Hugh Jackman. Because that world was like, what's up? <laughs> I was like, that world was a fucking unit. <laughs> what about uh, uh, Josh Wolfman 2010? There you go. The, the Benicio del Toro transformation scene in the in the asylum. That was yeah, pretty yeah. fucking. That was sick. That was that, that was, was a really that was a really good transformation for sure. Fuck. And plus, he was... looked. Gr I mean, that's that's fucking. Uh, that that's top notch work there. I mean, the the way he looked. You know, yeah. just the oh, it's, oh, so so wonderful. And sarcastic has got to throw some shade at Underworld. <laughs> fucking egg, fucking egg. Let's think All of right. Well, definitely let us know uh, what you think is the scariest film werewolf uh, out there. The oh, the scariest like werewolf that has appeared in film, like the scariest werewolf. Uh, let us know in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com. Let's jump on to this last one, and I'm going to show some extreme love because there is no turd polishing to be done here because this one stands on its own merits. But we are going to talk very briefly about the Penny Dreadful series that came out May 11th, 2014. Let's check out this trailer. Fuck, this show is so amazing. It was great. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, make it your next binge watch. For sure. 
Absolutely. So that was the trailer for season one of Penny Dreadful, which ran for three seasons on Showtime. Um, you can definitely check it out. It's a streaming online. So it was cre- the series created by John Logan and written by John Logan, Andrew Hinderaker, and Christy Will- uh, Wilson Cairns, starring uh, in no particular order of, of the three seasons. We're, no, we're talking about the original series, not the uh, City of Angels one that came out, that kind of like reboot, that came out, the soft reboot that came out after. But in this one starring in no particular order, Reeve Carney, Timothy Dalton, the legendary Timothy Dalton, the amazing Ava Green, the uh, uh, just incredible Rory Kinnear, Billy Piper, Danny Sapani, Harry Treadaway, Josh Hartnett, Helen McRory, uh, rest in peace, Helen, she recently passed away, uh, Simon Russell Beale, Patty Lupone, and Wes Studi. An A-list of amazing actors that has come across, top-notch fucking writing I I'm glad that we can finally get a chance to point this out because I know that there may be many people out there who haven't seen it or, or who are only uh, vaguely aware of it. Sir Cam said, I thought it was very campy and visually too dark, but I cranked uh, cranked up the brightness and got over it after four episodes. Um, and Javer says that trailer does not do the show justice. It absolutely no, no. does not. You gotta so, be I, so I, here's the thing, though. So you start watching this, and it, it, in no way, shape, or form did I ever think you'd see like Josh Hartnett and Billy Piper in the same fucking series? Cause it was just, they're so they're worlds apart and you get these, these cast members that get thrown in this. You're like, no fucking way, but they all just nail their roles in the show. It's insane. It's insane how they all just hit exactly where God in the, the, my favorite part of this, just before I get totally fucking side reeled on this. Cause I love it is the, the Dorian Gray side story. That yes. Gets, like, super just trippy. And it's just that part of it its own thing and then you get you know the frankenstein it, it's fantastic it's, i can't it, we should have done this first <laughs> <laughs> well it's, it's always i wanted to kind of finish the show on it because it's so it's so absolutely amazing and the big uh, the, the the okay so for those not for those not familiar with the idea but there may be some that aren't um oh jay versa didn't even realize it was billy piper until the second watch around yeah because it's yeah. so phenomenally different than her work in and pretty much anything else, especially yeah. in Doctor Who. Yep. So, uh, but the the big thing about this, the the, I, the Penny Dreadful itself was a type of was a 19th century. They came around in the in the 19th century and they depicted lurid and sensational subject matter, <clears throat> drawing upon a number of things that were in the public domain. So, telling these kind of so very similar another uh, kind of similar thing in, in in Italy were the giallos, where the the, the yellow uh, the which comes from the the yellow covers that the giallos used to be printed in. And the idea was that these these cheap little like lurid and you know you know like uh, sensational stories of you know, blood and death and murder and the macabre very similar to it was kind of like the novelization form of the grand of the grand um, Gunyal, which was a theater that depicted these kinds of stuff in theatrical form lots of blood lots of you know death and gore and you know destruction and stuff you know for for people's and for people's entertainment and so but the beautiful thing in this is that the things that are not addressed in the Penny Dreadfuls themselves, where they take these stories from. The things that are the, the moral quandaries or the deeper kind of aspect where we, where we juxtapose these things against real life, those things aren't really addressed in the Penny Dreadful, but in this show, we get to explore that. So, whereas uh, McKinnon Mitchell said <clears throat> earlier, the Penny Dreadful series has thus far my favorite depiction of Frankenstein, which is my favorite book of all time, and an actually good representation of Frankenstein's monster loved it. Rory Kinnear, fucking knocked this one everybody knocks this out of the park 
You got Rory Kinnear as Frankenstein. You got Josh Hartnett as Talbot, as Lawrence Talbot, um, who is the werewolf. You've got Ava Green, who I don't know if I've ever seen a more haunting and alluring performance. I, I fucking love Ava. I've loved it, her. It's just, it's her. It's just her depicting herself. Like Absolutely. Well, she's absolutely fearless in yeah. everything she does. And yeah. bringing it to a show like this, she must. But you touch on, you touch on everything from, and you've got Timothy Dalton, the essential Timothy, like the absolutely legendary Timothy Dalton, who's also, you know, obviously people remember him from his Bond days. But you have this individual who now, is playing the kind of Alan Quatermain, the kind of the 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 English explorer, the who you know carving his way through the dark heart of Africa. You have that kind of essentially that kind of character coming in and taking on the idea of vampires, you know, and of course the the uh, it alludes to the Dracula mythos of Bram Stoker with you know with uh, with Lucy and fucking uh, Mina and Jonathan Harker and those individuals, and then you bring in Frankenstein, you bring in the Wolfman, you bring in Dorian Gray, the picture of Dorian Gray, and then of course uh, in the third season. Uh, Jack, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So, so many things are brought together and set against a backdrop of real life London at the time post the Ripper. So, because there's always, because once these murders start up, there's always the fear that the Ripper may be back, that, you know, Jack is coming calling again. <laughs> so, I loved how it blended these things together. And then we got to explore the ideas of exploration and life and death and the moral quandaries of our, and the moral quandaries of our responsibilities when it comes to the things that we undertake. And of course, our own internal demons. Everybody was so absolutely amazing in this film or in this series, all three seasons. So it's shot like a movie. You keep saying film. That's because it's, it's Oh yeah, I know. Like, right. It's shot like a really fucking good movie. It's just and the production values itself, creating yeah. turn of the century, London, turn of the century, London. And then of course, turn of the century, America, when yep. they go there in season two. So uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's all around. It was taking these stories and actually portraying them as they were meant to be. They dive deeply into Frankenstein's monster and him, like as a person. Like they've done it before, but they never did it like this. And they they make you connect to this monster. And then they take Doctor. Oh, it's just it, all of it. They put you into the story. You can sit and watch a movie. You can sit and watch, listen to a story. But this puts you there. Like you feel with all of the characters, every single one of them, through every aspect got billy piper's character and she's you know not healthy she's not and it's, you start to feel bad almost immediately because they give you the in-depth story like hey this person you should love them now we're gonna kill them it's like oh man that happens the, human, the humanizing aspects of monsters yeah is what, humanizing is monsters me, yeah. or you know and even 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 these monsters they they there is a human aspect to them and we we sympathize deeply yeah. with the things that they feel especially i mean i think rory kinnear in his performance as the as the as the original creation, you know, right. as the the first one, the firstborn that was abandoned because yep. Frankenstein lacked the courage of his convictions. I want to see beyond the veil. I want to explore the the boundary between life and death. See this. Then he sees what comes of his actions, and immediately runs in terror from his like. And then how that informs the entire cycle is like, oh fucking hell, so brilliant. And of course, Billy Piper was transcendent in it and just giving her all. So I freaking loved her in this. Josh Hartnett wasn't, you know, Josh Hartnett. We somebody mentioned the faculty. This is the guy from the faculty, right? You know, wouldn't anticipate Josh Hartnett. He's a good acting fit, but he is fucking phenomenal in this. It's okay. He's good at a specific role, and this was not that specific role, and he fucking crushed it. It, it makes you, it makes you like, okay, where the fuck is he now? Like, why is he not doing this full time? Because 
his, you know, heartthrob love interest is like, whatever, we've seen it before. And then he comes into this and he just, it's it's different than anything he's ever done. Right. I, I don't think, you know, because he did do, what, 30 Days a Night? You know, that was kind of a horror movie. But that was more of like an action, just an action-packed, like a Pearl Harbor meets Dracula. <laughs> like, you know, it's a lot of shooting and running and blood. But this, it's he actually has to play this depth and he, he he's good. He's a good actor. You would never... You never guessed from some of his earlier stuff, but he's got depth. Very much so. Very much so. If if anybody out there has not had the opportunity to sit down and, and sit and watch these three seasons, there's only three seasons of them before they conclude the story. And the third season, that's when they bring in Dracula. And then we kind of like, we see the conclusion of, of, of Ava Green's characters. Of We see a Vanessa Ives of the mysterious Vanessa Ives. We see the conclusion of her story. The first one is beautiful in that it sets up all of the characters together in kind of turn of the century London, where we have all of these legends from classic uh from classic horror you know horror films all kind of coming together at once and then of course it branches off even further gets into more witchcraft lore and vanessa ives's backstory in season two and then comes full circle in season three when you know the fruits of the labors of frankenstein and ives and everybody else kind of like hits the head and dracula finally shows up dracula himself shows up in season three and then things you know come down to its very to its very dramatic conclusion, which is just beautifully done and, and wonderfully uh, executed in all aspects. Unfortunately, City of Angels, which came out 2020, was premiered in 2020, in my, in my opinion, tried to recapture that, but there is something about the turn of the century, something about turn of the century England, about the turn of the century around the world, whether it's England or America itself, that holds a certain character aspect that that deeper like when you get into like the 40 the 30s the 40s and the 50s of america just it really doesn't have and the penny dreadful themselves because of the time that they were placed and it's all in the kind of like victorian-esque uh background that they have that's what drives that's the driving that like london itself is literally just a, another character in it because oh. the london of that time is not the world of today and so it's a time it's it's so far it, i mean we're so far removed from that uh, who's it? Uh, Sarcastic. It's basically a Game of Thrones for Hammer Horror Monsters. Fucking a, hell yes. So I strongly recommend people. You know, if you if you like these kind, if you like these these uh, the, these old stories and the old classic Universal monsters, definitely jump on this because it is beautifully written, absolutely stunningly shot. Cinematography production value is up there with like HBO shows, like movies like Carnival and Rome. I strongly recommend it for everybody, not to mention the acting is sublime. There is not a weak link anywhere in this production, anywhere at all. Nobody drops the ball, and everything is so beautifully balanced against everybody else. So even fucking, you know, fucking, oh, and he recently passed away, and I totally didn't get to mention it, but it was fucking um, one of the supporting cast. The supporting cast, they brought in David Warner. David Warner was in there as fucking Van Helsing. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. The late David bit. Warner pops up. You know, the, the little things like that, even the supporting cast they bring in, just for like a couple of episodes, is all top notch. Gotta love the amount of money that the, the amount of dedication and love that went into this. Strongly recommend it. You know, yeah. and then you get your season three. You get fucking Brian Cox gets you know, comes up in there as <laughs> uh, as as uh, as Lawrence's dad. So all kinds of cool stuff. Definitely love it. Highly recommend it if you haven't had a chance to see it definitely jump on it as soon as you can before it uh, leaves streaming. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, but I do, I, I do want to ask, I do want to ask the audience. <laughs> Sorry, I says, don't sugarcoat sugar it, JL. You really hated it, didn't you? <laughs> I did not. 
there are a few television series I love to the degree that I've loved that I love Penny uh, Penny Dreadful. Friday the Thirteenth the series, okay. Fringe, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, there's not many like TV series that I fucking love from start to finish. You want Buffy the Vampire fucking Slayer? Fuck yes. What? She was terrible at her fucking job. She fell in love with two fucking vampires. <laughs> That's the thing about Buffy, man. Is she bucks the system, man. She's like, fuck you, I'm not playing by your rules. But she's <laughs> but yeah. But I, 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 I mean, there's, uh, oh yes, McKenna Mitchell Firefly is definitely on that oh, list. Absolutely. Firefly is on that list. It absolutely is. There, there are very few that I love that that I truly love that will I will always watch if I if I come across them. Um, Burn like, but there's there's some other ones on there. It's like Burn Notice is one of the ones that I absolutely love. Criminal Minds is one that I absolutely love, despite its kind of hokey fictional aspects to it. But there are many things that I really enjoy. But as far as sci-fi and horror, something you know, because I love the I love the the '90s turn of, of Outer Limits. I love uh, the classic Outer Limits, classic Twilight Zone. But uh, but yeah, there's a, there's the you know, Penny Dreadful is up there. It's on that probably top five on that list. So I strongly recommend. It. But I want to ask because there were three seasons, three seasons of this one, each one fantastic in its own right, and I think equally good. It's not like they dip and then they come back up. It's not like they go up and then go down. No, all of them were fantastic. So I will ask this: What do you think was the best season, or just your favorite season? of Penny Dreadful. The first season, when we get to establish and meet all the characters. The second one, when we get deeper into the backstories of our two leads, Vanessa Ives and Lawrence Talbot. Or the third one, when Dracula shows up and everything comes to its dramatic conclusion. Let us know, what is your favorite season or the, what you think was the best season of the, of the three seasons of the original Penny Dreadful? Let us know in the comments below or, of course, at weekendhorrorgmail.com. Tony Regine says, I'm loving ye enjoying Yellow Jackets. Yep. Even though they kind of like they telegraphed it, I, I, I can see where it's going, but I it is still very well acted. Sarcasm says season three, fantastic. Yeah, season three was great. My favorite is still season one. I love yeah. the establishment and everything. Everybody's got their cool intros. I don't think anything is ever beat when he's sitting there when when Frankenstein is talking to Proteus and they're having that conversation about his future. That all of a sudden the hand rips through him and pulls him in half and is like it's it is like your first born has returned it was like oh fuck that that was a fucking that was a fucking entrance so oh i fucking love it all right bud you know what time it is it's trivia time let's but, do it thank you for that man so all right so it's trivia time remember get those google fingers flexed and ready the first person to get the correct answer to this trivia question, we'll win a surprise item from the Weekend Horror Store. So be sure to get the be the first one in the live chat. I'll be watching that. Alex, take it away. What's the trivia question tonight? The trivia question tonight, originating in the UK, in what year was the first Penny Dreadful ever printed? Ooh. One more time, originating in the UK, in what year was the first Penny Dreadful ever printed? All right. First one. Oh, Angel Rivera's got it. That was quick. Holy oh, shit. Damn. Angel Rivera got it. Angel, I've got your name down. You are correct. The first year that Penny Dreadfuls were printed was 1836. 
And Robert Biden was right behind. Yeah, with 1836. Tony Regine was 1876. I think Tony got close. But yes, it was 1836 was when the Penny Dreadful first showed up in the UK. So congratulations, Angel Rivera. Well done. Fantastic. I believe it was. I believe it was the the first one. um, It was one of the first with Sweeney Todd. But I don't know the very, very first one. Uh, which was, but Sweeney Todd was one of the earliest ones. But congratulations, Angel Rivera. We're going to send you something from the store. Well done. And I apologize to those individuals who have won previous prizes. Teespring is still suffering delays. And I found out why that the, the, uh, what's going on in the Ukraine is causing delays in uh, Teespring shipping. Because we have a bunch of international uh, orders that are supposed to go out. And for some reason, whether you know, the 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 uh, the events in Ukraine are what's causing those major delays, so I do apologize. Hopefully, those will get to you soon because because like uh, weeks will go by, and all of a sudden, I'll get a bunch of emails that things are going out. So, you know, slowly but surely, we're getting them out there. So I apologize for any delays. But Angel Rivera, congratulations! We are going to get that sent out to you asap. Well done. Eighteen thirty six. Oh, Angel Rivera says the very first was Lives of the Most Notorious Highwaymen, footpads. Awesome. Fantastic. Well done. Well done, Angel Rivera. Good job. All right. And this is something new we're also doing now because that is going to close out another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash that like and subscribe button. And be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the cult classic horror anthology, Night Train to Terror, the continuing terror of Jigsaw in Spiral, the voyeur horror masterpiece, Peeping Tom, and the direct-to-video undead horror, Zombies. Be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at badsamurai.store. He does all the awesome artwork you see all over our merch, which you can find over at Teespring. For more from Weekend Horror, check out all the bloody links down in the description below. You can follow us on the socials for the Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, behind-the-scenes stuff from all of our film productions, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. And support the show through our PayPal link or through our Patreon. You can join higher tiers for early content access. Join us as a special guest judge for the Bloodbath Debates or uh, our After Darks and win trivia prizes. And go behind the scenes with the crew itself or even just support us for as little as $1 a month. What are you waiting for? Join us. As always, thank you all so much for being the greatest audience that a horror film podcast could possibly have. I am JL. I'm Alex. We'll see you all next week. And as always, stay scared.